Less than an hour from an icon of democracy and the geographic center of these United States, through the beautiful Black Hills of South Dakota, a small town of 6,500 people lies in wait. Since 1938, enthusiasts have gathered here for something more than just riding a machine between your legs. It is known simply as Sturgis, the motorcycle rally of the world. A quarter of a million bikers are jammed into this small town for racing, festivities, and the biggest biker party on the planet. New to the mix this year, World Championship Wrestling arrives, proving that this annual event will truly be hog wild. Sometimes you get a gut feeling. Sometimes you just know something's going to happen. You just feel it in your bones. I feel tonight that the Giant, as big as he is, as tough as he is, is in deep, deep trouble. Oh, you I'll do. tell you why. Because of the, the NWO. It's that simple. Let's see what's going to happen to the Giant and Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan and the Giant is the headliner, the main event, the most important world title match in the history of professional wrestling and ladies and gentlemen you will see it live later on here tonight plus the outsiders against sting and lex luger and a lot of strange things that you'll be seeing never seen before on a pay-per-view telecast it's time to kick off welcome to where the big boys play welcome to 20 years of nitro our chronological breakdown of world championship wrestling's flagship show where each episode is viewed, reviewed, analyzed, and categorized as we compile an audio anthology of our tour along the southern front of Wrestling's Monday Night Wars. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me, as always, is my broadcast colleague, Dave Amantorp. How are you doing this week, Dave? Tim, I am still on cloud nine from last night. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was just no way I was not going to mention it. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> because I think everyone knows that listens to our show that we are from Minnesota. And in last night was uh, whenever you're listening to this, the previous night was when the uh, um, Minnesota Vikings played the New Orleans Saints in the divisional playoff game. 
in which what is called the the Minneapolis Miracle occurred. Yes. In which uh, Stefan Diggs scored from 61 yards out as time expired to move on and be one game away from playing at home for the Super Bowl. So to say that I'm like really like pretty happy right now right. is an extreme understatement. Yeah, you've got a Viking shirt on. You're a huge fan. I'm much more of a casual fan, but I certainly was watching it here and um, being pissy. And anyone that follows me on Twitter would see that I was being pretty negative. And, <laughs> and then at the end, I was like, I was texting a friend who I'd been really, really negative with the whole game. And I was texting him right afterward. I was like, I always knew we could do it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I got to tell you, I actually we were we were set to record last night after the game, mm-hmm. and morning of yesterday, I realized that was a bad idea because if the Vikings had lost, especially if they had lost on like a last second field goal, like would have happened, like they were about ten seconds away from right. doing, <laughs> you you would have been unmanageable. Like, right. I, this yeah. this episode would be completely even a day later. I think you'd still be in a funk. But right. the night of, like. Having you watch that and then drive here, yeah. I, you would have been not in a good mood. <laughs> right. I Yeah, I kind of thought the same thing, too. But, um, you know, I was I was going to be a good sport about it, or, or at least try to be a good sport. <laughs> yeah. Whatever accounts for me as being a good sport. But, yeah, very, very exciting. And it just – I feel like as they, as they uh, potentially move on, it's just good for, like, posterity to just have that recorded because right. it's like – that's something that's really important that's happening around here, and it's sports and wrestling sports, so I feel like it makes sense to have that in our recording. But, um, no, I'm, I'm really excited. I mean, anytime we get to a pay-per-view, it's always exciting because um, it just, there's a lot more that's put into it than a regular Nitro is. Yeah. Um, in most cases. Sometimes Eric Bischoff throws, like, a lot of really important stuff just on a random Nitro instead of on a pay-per-view, but... Um, no, this there's a big uh, main event going on, and um, we're finally going to be through the the outdoor shows. <laughs> finally going to be in a regular arena tomorrow or on uh, Monday. Well, before we get into all of the outdoor action, I want to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at 20 Years of Nitro. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash 20 Years of Nitro. And, of course, you can email the show at 20 Years of Nitro at gmail.com. Now, today is August 10th, 1996, and we are coming to you live from the Sturgis Biker Rally in Sturgis, South Dakota, in front of an estimated 5,000 fans who paid a total gate of zero dollars. Zero dollars. This is the first ever Hogwild pay-per-view event, and technically the only one, as future iterations had to be named Roadwild due to a potential copyright conflict with the Harley Owners Group, who have officially trademarked Hog, uh, in terms of, like, in the arena of talking about motorcycles. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and they are an officially sponsored community group of Harley-Davidson motorcycle owners. So this show, uh, this is the only hog wild. The rest are road wild. And this drew a .62 buy rate, or around 220,000 buys, which is fairly average for 1996 WCW pay-per-view. Not bad, not good. It's down a little bit from Bash at the Beach, but it's up a little bit from Great American Bash. Yeah, I mean, the more I'm thinking about it, this is also a show that's pretty much centered around one match. Um, just like Bash of the Be- Bash of the Beach was for the the six man tag, this one is really ab- all about the world title match. Nope. So I I would say like getting an average uh, pay per view buy for a show in which you really have only hyped up one match is probably what you should expect. <laughs> uh, 
Now, the Sturgis Biker Rally, for those who don't know, we've talked about it a little bit on the show, but this is a huge event where hundreds of thousands of bikers converge upon Sturgis, South Dakota, a town with a population of just under 7,000 on a normal day. Uh, they come to ride their bikes, drink, catch live music, and take part in the annual Beard and Mustache Contest. Ooh. Now, the rally was originally started in 1938 and continues to this day, bringing in tourism money for the area that provides for 95% of the town of Sturgis's annual uh, revenue. So this is basically one week a year. They get all this tourism money in there, and it pays their budget mm-hmm. for the entire year. Yeah. So it's a smart idea for this small town. Yeah, and I also saw that um, the state of South Dakota itself makes around $800 million annually from wow. this rally. That's I, – I have a hard time comprehending that because I'm like, what do they spend money on besides just, like, you know, food and, and like, lodging and stuff like that? I couldn't figure out, like, where all this money's coming from. So the event can get anywhere, I think, uh, typically is around, like, 500,000. I mean, they keep using the number 250 on the show, but actually this year was, like, a record-breaking year. They had hundreds mm-hmm. of thousands. I think 500,000 is not out of the question. I can probably check that on Wikipedia uh, in a second. But just to give you an idea, if you're from, uh, well, I was going to say, like, another country, but even if you're from the coasts of America, you might not know a lot about South Dakota uh, this is a state with a population of less than one million people. Right, eight hundred sixty-five thousand four hundred fifty-four, according to uh, Google. <laughs> so uh, this is a tiny town. Ta- so basically, the population of South Dakota, you know, because some people are from in the state, but a lot of these people are coming from outside the state. Yeah. So the population, you're adding nearly like a quarter of the size of the entire state in terms of people for just this motorcycle rally. That is crazy. Okay. Yeah, I've got the the. Numbers in front of me, so uh, the most recent year, 2015, 739,000 was the estimated crowd. So that is basically You're, very close to the entire population of the state of South Dakota. The state it doubles in population for a week. <laughs> that is just absolutely nuts. Um, I also, I mean, since we're talking about Wikipedia, I really like the Wikipedia quote. There have been a number of mysterious unsolved deaths at the rally. <laughs> hmm. That's... That's all it says. <laughs> and I think when I was looking up the numbers, I, I think every year there's somewhere between like three to eight deaths. That's that's wow. That is surprising, actually, because though I think they kind of sell it um, leading up to the show and during the show itself as this like insane biker rally full of these tough pe- guys, mm-hmm. there's like many children at the show yeah it is not like just a bunch of tattooed guys named butch like shiving each other behind the bar right it's like it is somewhat <laughs> a family event yeah but but there also are some guys shiving each other behind the bar <laughs> yeah a little bit a, a <laughs> fair amount <laughs> now the idea for this show came from wcw executive vice president eric bischoff in his book controversy creates cash bischoff writes that he was well aware of the rally but had never had a chance to attend but as a biker at heart, he'd always wanted to. When World Championship Wrestling made the decision to expand to a 12-pay-per-view annual schedule, Eric saw his chance to put on a show from Sturgis, which he thought would look cool, (laughs) and give WCW some credibility as edgy, given their proximity to bikers. Now, the word he uses is co-branding. He sort of says that a lot with the uh, tapings and shows they did from Disney, that it allowed WCW to be co-branded with Disney and be seen as kind of like, you know, they're not part of Disney, but they're, like, on the level of brand with Disney. Sure. And that makes sense, and you get that now 
the fact that here, literally within the space of one week, he is co-branding with Disney and bikers. Right. Kind of gets out a little bit of a schizophrenic personality in the company right now. Right. <laughs> I just like the idea is like, you look really cool. <laughs> now, he also tries to justify this by saying that doing a show here would help attract blue collar sponsors to WCW, saying that wrestling may never be golf, but there's no reason that it can't be NASCAR, which I agree with. He's mm-hmm. That's a fair point. It is surprising that wrestling gets much lower ad rates than something like NASCAR or UFC. Uh, you wouldn't think that there'd be that much economic disparity between the demographics for each show. Mm-hmm. So the fact that wrestling has always commanded notoriously low ad rates, that's got to be frustrating for someone like an executive vice president. Yeah, and I suppose that since there's not really like a long history of what works for wrestling, that's why he's like, maybe Disney, maybe bikers. <laughs> right. I don't know. I'll just like, it's kind of like the throwing something on the wall and seeing what sticks basically absolutely now in his own words eric admits that doing the show from an economic standpoint quote didn't make a lot of sense (laughs) (laughs) because they wouldn't get a live gate and due to the show being outside the production costs of the company were much much higher also travel would be a logistical nightmare as this show is in a small town in the middle of nowhere and all the hotels were booked long in advance so most of the uh cast and crew are staying either i think some probably camped uh but i think most of the people are staying at a hotel in cody wyoming where the next uh night's nitro episode or excuse me not the next night because this is a saturday mm-hmm. uh, but the nitro two nights from now is going to be live from cody so that's where most people are staying okay according to kevin nash the um the dressing rooms were just in like you know those big metal shipping containers oh <laughs> He says they brought those in and used them as dressing rooms, but I've also heard other sources say that there were just regular trailers, uh-huh. and it would not be beyond Kevin Nash to exaggerate. Right. <laughs> exactly. And it seems it almost seems like bringing in shipping containers would be harder right. than bringing yeah. in trailers. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know a lot about that. I mean, there's been a lot of rumors over the years, stuff like um, that there were like buckets for the wrestlers to piss and shit in. Like, no, there were there's ported potties. Yeah, like that's insane. This is not like, this is not <laughs> just in the middle of the woods somewhere. <laughs> it is a town. <laughs> right. It's it's not like the conditions are be are lower than like a county fair or something right. like that. Like the Sturgis Rally is a really big, and like you mentioned, all the money that comes into it. I I would assume that the state puts a good deal of money into the presentation. Making sure that there's enough restrooms and stuff like that. Sure. Um, it it, see, it seems like it's a really, really well run. Is, Absolutely. Is what I'm saying. So, like, Kevin Nash saying that, like, you know, you couldn't find a restroom seems kind of uh, over the top. You're wrestling outdoors. I mean, you're surrounded by the bikers, and they're revving the engines during the matches. There's rocks. Uh, is anyone saying it's a bad idea before you get there? Like just hearing this pitch, I, I probably wouldn't it's, be down with it's it. It's brutal, but there's like 11 guys that drive bikes, and the boss is one of them, and all they're worried about is making this pilgrimage on their bikes to Sturgis. Well, can't they do that and not put no. their wrestlers in that situation? Well, that if, but you have to realize, like, I'm sure that if... You, um, you're like, you, you, you can't find sexual satisfaction unless your body's being touched with latex. 
and you get a chance to be in, in, in power in bed, the minimum you're going to have is a latex like bottom sheet. So if you're like, if you think biking is like the ultimate thing, and you have this ability to cross over something that's like NWO's hot, I think biking's really fucking cool. Right. While the rest of us think biking's a good way to lose a leg or your life, it's just like all I know is Scott and I got our itinerary. We're staying in Custer. Wyoming, Wyoming or someplace at a Best Western, and the door to the room was a sliding glass door. And I'm just like, this fucking blows. No locker rooms. They brought in storage units like you would put on a fucking boat. Not trailers that are air conditioned. I'm talking about storage units. That you would, the steel fucking storage units you would put on a boat with. Containers? Like, yes. like metal containers? And you would, with plastic chairs in it. Wow. Porta potties. Holy fuck. Shower 55 miles back at your hotel. Just like the NFL. Oh. And my wife would have been in charge of the fucking wives. Yeah, they're bringing the cakes. Perfect. <laughs> so who had the hardest time for this event? Maybe with the. The fans. Harlem Heat. Anyone take some rocks? Everybody did. Really? It was just like... <laughs> what? Like, what the fuck? Are you kidding me? Is anyone vocal to Eric? Yes. And is he just, come on, guys, this is a great time. Come on. Is he oblivious to the issues? Are you issues? talking about, if you want, you want to talk about uh, things that if you go back and watch the work rate at that at, the, at those fucking pay-per-views because at that point it becomes okay so we're gonna do what the fuck you want to do but we're sure as fuck not gonna do it on more than about a fucking two out of ten i'm pretty sure that one of them has a battle royal the bell rings and i step over the rope and eliminate myself Eric can kind of say whatever he likes about the reasons he did the show for the co-branding opportunities right. and for improving the ad rates. The fact is yes. that he is a Harley guy. He saw an opportunity to spend Ted Turner's money mm-hmm. to allow him to go to the biggest Harley rally in the world and look like a big shot producer of like the big show that was going on. Yeah. He basically wants to look cool. Right. He, want, he wants to play biker and have a bunch of tough wrestler guys to back him up. Mm-hmm. And and I'll say this because I truly believe this in in a lot of the um, posturing that Bischoff does. He he talks a lot of shit where he's like, he's not scared to get in a fight with anybody. He knows that a lot of people are going to kick his ass. Mm-hmm. Like say for example, we'll see him in a year or two. He challenges Vince McMahon to come on a pay per view and fight him. Yeah. Now Eric Bischoff will tell you that he was completely unafraid to get in that fight, but he also believes a hundred percent that Vince McMahon would have just kicked his ass. so it's not that i'm saying that like bischoff's gonna go talk shit and then hide behind wrestlers because i believe he's gonna get in there and fight Mm -hmm. but like he has no reason to be scared of anybody in sturgis because he's got fucking scott norton and scott steiner on his left and right arm you know what i mean (laughs) right he wants to just go around and be tough Mm -hmm. and uh and there's just there's no convincing me that there's any reason the show exists other than eric bischoff's ego yeah i mean you would just put up like a, a screen cap of how he's dressed 
right? <laughs> Before they leave the Mall of America, like you could that it's all about like looking as cool as possible. Now, this show has one match that was not mentioned on Nitro at all, and thus we've never talked about it on our show, uh, like kind of the build to it, because there literally was no build. Uh-huh. And that's Rey Mysterio Jr. and Ultimate Dragon, which we're going to discuss shortly. Uh, but the rest of the show, running down the card quick, we're going to get Scott Norton versus Ice Train in a match versus feuding X-Tag team partners. Mm-hmm. We'll get Medusa versus Bull Nakano in a match where the winner may destroy the loser's motorcycle. We got Chris Benoit versus Dean Malenko. Harlem Heat defend their WCW tag team titles against the Steiner brothers. Ric Flair defends his WCW US title against Eddie Guerrero. The Outsiders, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, will face Sting and Lex Luger. And in the main event, your WCW World Heavyweight Champion, the Giant, will face Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Yeah, I mean, all certainly from the previous Nitros, like all these matches have been mentioned and received some degree of hype. Yes, um, with the exception of Ray and Dragon. Yeah. And but it's just like I was mentioning. I know I mentioned on a couple of episodes beforehand that that the outsiders have really been like pushed down to like a rung below Hogan, and this tag team match. I feel like they really don't. There was not a lot of hype to it, besides just like the, the in the in general the the NWO versus WCW. That like right. this actual tag team matchup really. I don't feel like really got a lot of its hype that it should have. Yeah, because it really felt like in the sort of feuding, the NWO would do shit and then the WCW would show up or or Sting and Lex would try to act like, at least for that one week, that they were too cool to be like bothered by it. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, like, a lot of the focus was on Randy Savage. He's nowhere to be found tonight, so, like, that's just kind of a part of the whole thing that's missing, oddly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you're right that, like, they have technically built to it. I mean, the NWO and Sting and Luger are a part of each Nitro, but it doesn't feel like we've been building to this particular match between these two guys and these two guys. Right. I mean, just as easily you could have had it between them and the horsemen because they attacked right. Arn Anderson. Uh, or, you know, like someone of that's Rey Mysterio's friend, like Eddie Guerrero, Chavo Guerrero. There's a lot of WCW the guys. The American males. Yeah. You could <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of guys in WCW that had a legitimate beef with them, and it just felt like, well, we'll just take the top two guys and they'll face the outsiders. You know, there's not a lot. It doesn't seem like there's a lot more thought to it than that. And given the fact that Hall and Ash have only been here for a few months, there's I feel like there's an initial concern already that they don't know exactly what to do with these guys. Now, before we get to the main card, we do have a two hour pre-show in the form of an episode of WCW Saturday Night, which aired live from the mothership TBS for the two hours leading up to the pay-per-view start. Now, uh, you may remember that in our last episode, we talked about covering that episode as a full-on bonus episode, where we would watch the entire episode and review all the matches. Uh, The reason that we decided not to do that is I just could not find a quality version of it. It would be watchable, but the audio is so bad, and I like to put in audio clips Mm -hmm. uh, that I... And you'll hear it, because I'll drop in just a little bit uh, of the intro and some other stuff. WCW Hog Wild. 
just by and large, I didn't think it would make that compelling of an episode. And the audio, it just really bothers me when I hear shitty audio. Uh, so I didn't want that screeching at people for like two hours. Yeah, and also the show was really terrible too. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to run through the results, but this two-hour episode manages to pack in eight matches, the same as the three-hour pay-per-view. That that was the first, I mean, when I was looking at the, because I, mean, I pull up like all the results in order yeah. while I'm doing the, um, while I'm watching the pay-per-view. Right. And I was just alarmed by how many matches. <laughs> alarmed, that's a good word. <laughs> yeah. How many matches they had beforehand and to the fans' credit, they're yeah. pretty excited when the pay-per-view still happens, which is not very typical for wrestling fans to be like that happy two hours into a show. All of the matches, all of the eight matches that take place over those two hours are in the two to four minute range, with the only match that goes over four and a half minutes is DDP versus the Renegade, and I believe that's still under five minutes. So you were talking, like all things considered, there's a ton of matches and yet there's really not that much total wrestling. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know there's a couple of matches that are under a minute. So, yeah, so I don't think anyone really wanted to hear us review that entire show. Right. <laughs> Maybe you would, I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> I, but it's just, it's not going to happen. I didn't even watch the whole thing because I couldn't stand listening to the bad audio. <laughs> I tried to find an alternate version. Um, if anyone out there knows of, like, a cache of high-quality Saturday night episodes, you let me know. Uh, but it wasn't on Daily Motion, which I've had some luck with, mm-hmm. and it wasn't on the Wrestling Torrent site where I find some of this old stuff. So I, yeah, d- I, I don't know. I don't know where else you could look besides <laughs> just happening on it on YouTube or something like that, but I assume you looked on YouTube too. Yes. Now the results of those matches, I'll just run through them quick. Public Enemy defeated Rough and Ready. Conan defeated Chavo Guerrero. Uh, a little notable, maybe the most notable thing that happens on the show there because uh, Conan kind of wrestles like a heel and does a little bit of a heel promo afterward. Okay. He says that he's modeled his career after Hulk Hogan and he's going to continue to do so. Ooh. So that's maybe the most notable thing that happens on the show. Uh, the Nasties defeat High Voltage. Alex Wright defeats Bobby Eaton. The Taskmaster, Meng, and the Barbarian defeat Joe Gomez, Jim Powers, and Mark Starr. <laughs> yeah, I... Your guess is as good as mine on that one. <laughs> Squire David Taylor defeats Mr. JL, who we have not heard from in a long oh, time. Oh, hey there. I honestly did not know he was still employed by the company, so good for him. Yeah. DDP defeated the Renegade, and Arn Anderson defeated Hugh Morris in your main event of the pre-show. I is I think that was like a 40-second match. Yes, I believe like you're that. right. <laughs> and with that, we are on to the main portion of our show. <laughs> the actual pay-per-view. We open with footage of the Black Hills area of South Dakota, of course starting off with a shot of Mount Rushmore a mere hour away from Sturgis. We also get a shot of the Crazy Horse Memorial, and it's cool to see what it looked like in 1996. Uh, If you don't know, work on that monument honoring the Ogala Sioux chief famed for his victory against the encroaching white man at the Battle of Little Bighorn. Uh, Work on that statue began in 1948 and continues to this day. Yeah, and I, because I know I visited that like 15 years ago or something. Yeah. And I know, and I I feel like that, that in recent years, it's just not getting the funding. Yeah, I believe that that is a problem. I mean, this is a huge, once completed, it, it would be the world's largest standing monument. Yeah, it's ridiculously uh, ambitious. And I was there once in like 1988 and then once again in something like maybe 97, 98. Mm-hmm. And uh, the work that was done in that amount of time is great. Now they do have a webcam where you can kind of see where they're at. And I have not looked at that in a while, but I should. 
And uh, you're right. I, I do know that they have constant problems with funding. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hopefully one day that gets done because if it's done to the design that they have, it's going to be just an incredibly huge, awesome statue. Yeah. Tony Schiavone talks about the history of the Sturgis Rally, and we see footage of bikers, bikes, and several shots of scantily clad biker chicks. By the way, talking yeah. about audio, yeah, he his voice is piercing at the very beginning. It's very strange. Yeah, the mix is way, way off. Mm-hmm. Uh, I should have asked Neil Pruitt about that because he talked a little bit about putting the intro together. And I know he he's like zealously... Um, obsessed with good audio so i'm just assuming it was like the best they had with the equipment available i I don't know yeah because it does sound it sounds really bad i agree tony's voiceover includes the strange line quote since 1938 enthusiasts have gathered here for something more than just riding a machine between your legs (laughs) go on what a fucking weird way to say that (laughs) like all he needs to say is we've been gathering here and it's more than just about riding motorcycles yeah but instead riding a machine between your legs so weird (laughs) the screen goes dark and we hear the patented sounds of a harley davidson motorcycle revving and when i say patented i mean literally they've patented that sound that's like a trademarked thing is the sound of a harley davidson engine oh so they they had to pay for that then yes (laughs) probably uh, in 1996, who knows? It was a little Wild West back then. but <laughs> uh, And we get some like cinema-like opening credits that tell us that World Championship Wrestling presents WCW Hog Wild. Now, this is playing over some like piano that's clearly doing a ripoff of Right Now by yeah. Van Halen. Yep. So obviously. Yes, yep. It, it was close enough where I got thirsty for a Crystal Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> because like when it was going on, I was about to be like, right. Yeah, I was waiting for the moment, but the moment didn't come. I was like, oh, that's oh, it's a rip off. OK, <laughs> we cut to a helicopter shot of the Black Hills and Tony officially welcomes us to the show. We see the crowd such as it is and some shots of the streets of Sturgis. We then see our announced team and wow, just wow. Yes, yes. Dusty Rhodes is wearing a denim shirt unbuttoned about three buttons down with the sleeves cut off. This is, of course, tucked into some cutoff jeans, which are cut off well above his knees. Right. He has a snakeskin belt, some aviator shades, and a leather cap on. And he looks like he's about to topple over, too. (laughs) Bobby the Brain Heenan has elected for black pants, possibly jeans, a black t-shirt, and a black leather sport coat with some white trim along the breast and collar, along with some sunglasses. Yeah, his was... was Passable. It was yeah. It was understated, but still like giving a nod to the evening. You know, <laughs> right. I, I kind of liked brains out. He knew who, where he was. Tony is wearing tan dress pants. Yes, a tucked-in black T-shirt, and a denim vest, along with some shades that he can't quite pull off, and a leather biker cap. His mullet is way more noticeable than usual, mm-hmm. and I mean he's a clown. Yeah, he looks like a complete stooge. Yeah, I I was I was thinking that when we get to this episode. Those three should be the next like profile shot for our Facebook page. Okay, absolutely. So everyone, when they when they come to Twenty Years of Nitro, have to look at that. Now, Dusty says that it's a night for freedom, and then talks about how the Giant has to find a way to counteract the power of Hulk Hogan, who has main evented so many big shows over the years. Bobby says that he's developed intuition over his years in the business, and he believes the Giant is in deep, deep trouble. Tony says that Hogan versus the Giant is the most important ship match in the history of professional wrestling. There we go. 
Now we're ready to go on with the show. <laughs> As Tony runs through the rest of the card, Dusty picks up Tony's arm and points at a fake tattoo of an eagle that Shivani has on his forearm. <laughs> and Dusty is just so amused by this thing. <laughs> he just points at it and grins at the camera. <laughs> Tony's throws to Dave Penzer to introduce the competitors in our first match, one that I mentioned has not previously been mentioned on any episodes of Nitro, which is kind of fucking impressive in a shitty way, since we've had like five weeks of Nitros to go, Mm -hmm. and they've actually been promoting the match on Saturday night all the way back since July 20th, which is like over three weeks ago. Uh, On the July 13th Saturday night, less than a week after winning the Cruiserweight Championship from Dean Malenko on Nitro... Rey Mysterio said that Malenko had given him three chances to win the title, and he certainly was willing to give Malenko a rematch. So why Malenko has to beat Chris Benoit tonight so that Jimmy Hart will get him a rematch makes no sense. (laughs) A week after that Rey promo, Mean Gene announced that Mysterio would instead face a Japanese great who Okerlund alternatively called Ultimo Dragon and Ultimate Dragon (laughs) at the Hogwild pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. Out first, accompanied by Sonny Ono, is that challenger here billed as the ultimate dragon. That's what they call him for the majority of the match, and that's what his Chiron says as he comes to the ring. Mm -hmm. Ultimate dragon is better known as Ultimo Dragon, and he is Japanese-born Yoshihiro Asai. And if you were wondering, yes, he is credited as popularizing the Asai moonsault. Asai trained in the New Japan Pro Wrestling Dojo, graduating in 1987. Like many struggling to break out of the New Japan midcard, Asai went on an excursion to learn more wrestling in a new country. He made his way to Mexico, where he quickly picked up the lucha style. Dragon spent time with several Mexican promotions, including CMLL, where he began using the Ultimo Dragon name. The name actually originally referred to a gimmick in which Asai was said to be the very last student taught in the martial arts by Bruce Lee, a.k.a. the Dragon. Ooh. He also started working with the Japanese WAR promotion, who had a co-promoting deal with New Japan, so he once again ended up just working in New Japan where he'd started. Although this time, pushed a lot more heavily uh, with the new gimmick and mask and everything. So it was more that he kind of went overseas and made a name for himself, so when he came back to New Japan, they're like, oh, okay, Yeah, they'll they'll make room for him. Yeah, they do that to this day. Okada did it, coming and having like a pretty stupid run in TNA, but um, you've got... Naito did it, going to Mexico, mm-hmm. reinventing himself. Jay White most recently working with Ring of Honor. So, yeah, this is just a time-honored kind of tradition in New Japan and uh, one that really is pretty cool. And usually when they do it, it, it shows that they've got a lot of faith in that guy uh, first, that they think it's important enough that he do this. And usually when they come back, they're a big fucking deal. Yeah, I um, I mean, Okada's time in, uh, in uh, TNA – was not very good, right? But he learned the valuable lesson of like creating a character, and he talks about that like all the time about how when he came back with like the Rainmaker and everything like that, and that basically made him a mega star, is because he had a character to promote now, and yeah. that's that he learned that from being in TNA, Impact, Global Force, whatever you want to call yeah. it. <laughs> now here, Dragon is only five days removed from the finals of the J Crown Tournament a tournament held by New Japan for a unified title of eight junior heavyweight championships from five different promotions, which will actually come into play later down the road in our timeline. He lost the finals uh, match of that tournament to the great Sasuke. However, Sasuke got a pretty bad head injury, and so that belt will find its way onto Ultimate Dragon, or Ultimo Dragon, whatever the fuck you want to call him, uh, pretty quickly. I think, just go with Ultimo Dragon to save yeah. confusion. yeah. Tony welcomes Mike Tanay to the booth, then quickly pivots to mocking Bobby's outfit. He's one to fucking talk with what he's wearing. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> Rey Mysterio comes out next, and the entrance area is a bunch of scaffolding with like green nets thrown over it, uh, where they come out. It looks it looks really thrown together, but also kind of cool. Um, and just to kind of describe the set a little bit, so you've got that's where the wrestlers are coming out, and then they literally just walk down a gravel path. Yeah. Uh, this is in a big flat, like basically a gravel-filled parking lot. Uh, at times, in the background of the hard camera, you can just see cars like parking and moving around. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got like a few rows, and then and the rows of people are some people standing, but it is a lot of people. Literally, their seat is their motorcycle. Yeah, they have ridden their Harleys right up, so you'll get horns, you'll get revving during the show. Uh, it's pretty. It's definitely different. Mm-hmm. Um, if if there weren't literally a parking lot in the back of the hard cam, I think it would work a lot better than it does. Um, because from some angles it looks cool, especially like when they get the helicopter shots. From other angles, it looks just cheap as hell. Yeah. So I was really split. Uh, did you think it looked cool? Like, what was your kind of thought on the look of the program? Um, you were saying how it looked thrown together. It to me, it looks like it was thrown together, but by really professional people. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, like the 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 whole scaffolding and everything. It looks like they took the best things that they had available to them and made the most of it. But it it does not look like okay. We definitely had a plan of how to set this up. Yeah, I think you have a great crew executing the poor vision of a madman. <laughs> like yes. Eric Bischoff is just deciding things that make no sense, mm-hmm. and then these guys that actually have like real great production talent are just scrambling to be like, how do we make this thing work? Yeah, and considering all the elements at play, I think they did a good job. I think they did the best you could probably reasonably expect. Mm-hmm. The one, the the thing I would complain about as far as the production is concerned is. I found the helicopters to be very distracting, yes. uh, especially later on in the show for some reason or yeah. another. Um, and I, I re- the aerial shots are pretty cool, but there's not nearly enough of them to warrant constantly hearing helicopters. Yeah, when they're not actually getting a shot from a helicopter, that thing should be hovering far enough away that you're not hearing it. Mm-hmm. But instead, you are hearing the sound of those helicopters in the background almost all the time. Um, but... It, and I, I know I make notes of it at, at some points during this show, but um, I, there are times at which, like, the, the motorcycle revving actually is really cool. It's like a cool Oh, absolutely. Um, not all the time, though. Sure. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm sure we'll point out the times at which it does and doesn't work. Tony says goodbye to the folks on TBS as the first few minutes of this pay-per-view aired as a part of Saturday Night in order to entice a few last-minute buys. Good strategy, if you ask me. Yeah, I remember because i pretty sure I was watching. Oh, really? But did not buy. It <laughs> didn't work. They didn't get you? No. Tanae talks about how big a deal it was that the NWO unmasked Ray on Nitro during their attack uh, at Disney a few weeks back. He also mentions that this is the first-ever match between Ray Mysterio Jr. and Ultimo Dragon, which is pretty cool. I trust that's right. <laughs> Now, you'll hear kind of as we go throughout the show, I think you had mentioned you were going to try something similar, and I certainly did. Uh, in the interest of expediency, my notes are a little bit different. I cut out a, a lot of my play-by-play stuff um, in the interest of kind of more bullet points. I'm going to try to move to that a little more, especially for pay-per-views because we are a Nitro podcast. Mm. These uh, pay-per-views, we end up like Bash at the Beach was like four and a half hours long. And yet it's kind of considered a bonus episode <laughs> because we're covering something other than Nitro. Right, yeah. Um, and as you can tell, if you're a fan of ours, it takes us you know, a long time to get these episodes out to you. 
Uh, and the more that we are spending time putting a full like run together for a three-hour pay-per-view, just the longer that's going to be. So in the future, pay-per-view shows might look a little bit different. Um, I've even thought about just kind of giving results for a few matches and picking out the ones that are most important to storylines mm-hmm. and writing up kind of what happens in them more detailed. And we'll just kind of look at that and we'll see what works. Um, but this is just one variation. and we're, we're just trying some new things. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I attempted to, but I, I'm pretty sure I did a lot of play-by-play play oh, anyway. Okay. Yeah. Just because it, it's hard to really, like, tell the story and, like, I feel like I'm intentionally skipping over action. Right. So, I mean, um, I have I have one of the longer matches. And so yeah, you'll, yes. you'll, you'll get an idea as far as, like, how well I did. <laughs> All right. Well, we get some mat wrestling early with good reversals and quick action. Oddly, Ray is the one who is occasionally slowing things down with rest holds, which was kind of a weird thing at the beginning of this match. Oh, I also want, just wanted to point out, um, because in the future, Ray Mysterio has a habit of, like, he has, like, a, a persona that he'll, like, dress as, and he's dressed like Spider-Man. Oh, yes, thank you. In this one. And, and yeah, I he's a big comic book guy, and I know, especially at, like, WrestleMania, he was really into doing a comic book look every year. Yeah, so I... I feel like at least in in WCW, this is the first time he's done like that sort of like I think uh, you're right, like yeah. a theme. So I just wanted to make sure that was pointed out. Sonny Ono does a good job of getting heat from the crowd who may not otherwise know which of these two small mask guys is the bad one. Right. So I think <laughs> it helps having Sonny Ono there to make it really clear for everybody. Uh, we get a USA chant in response to Ono. Dragon gets a jumping spin wheel kick on Ray and poses much to the crowd's chagrin. They take turns doing springboard backflips and other reversals and then a stereo kip-up, uh, you know, where they both, like, kip-up at the same time. Yeah. And the crowd just does not know that this is an applause spot because they're not really wrestling fans. <laughs> right. And that's the first sign that, like, oh, this is not your typical crowd. They don't, like, know their cues kind of thing. Yeah. So it just kind of looks awkward. So Ray just starts doing some, like, big pantomime of clapping to be, like, all right, everybody, let's get like into this. this. <laughs> and that's smart. I mean, that's good crowd control. Good on Ray. When that doesn't work, though, he gets a USA chant going because he knows that's always going to work. Oh, so he was the one that started the USA chant. This this is a second USA chant. Okay. Well, because I was trying to figure out why they're chanting USA because I'm like, there's no way they know that Ray Mysterio is from California. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They are definitely think he's like that Mexican guy. Or <laughs> so I, I well, even even somewhere. I forget which review it was. It might have been Meltzer. Like somewhere I saw people were like and somebody who should know better like Meltzer was like these idiots were chanting USA for this match. And it's like, yeah, Ray Mysterio is American. He was born in San Diego. Uh, even his family moved to Mexico when he, I forget, he was he was still pretty young, but he still went to school in the United States, even while his family, like they mm-hmm. had some kind of fake residency here or whatever. So he, his yeah. entire schooling was in America. He's American. He's like, yes, he's Mexican by heritage, and that's an important part of who he is, but he doesn't call it the 619 because that's Mexico's area code. <laughs> um, but I think you, you pointed out that they were probably doing a reaction to Sonny Ono Oh, for sure. His, his for sure. That makes a lot more sense to me than the fans knowing that Ray is right. American. Because I'm like, <laughs> yes. there's no way they know that. <laughs> Dragon hits a flurry of kicks and a very nice drop kick to the center of Ray's chest. He then gets a handspring back elbow. Bobby says that all the cruiserweights are so well trained, so quick, and so fast that all their matches are determined by luck. <laughs> like, I'd. F- at the beginning, that sounds like a compliment, but at the end, you're like, well, then what's the point? Like, <laughs> right. 
<laughs> they have so much skill that skill does not become a factor. We get a big running power bomb by Dragon, which is kind of a signature move of his, but he'd much rather rile the crowd up than pin Ray. Instead, he locks on a figure four. Bobby sells the figure four and points out that Dusty won a lot of matches with it. Yeah, but not against Rey Mysterio Jr., re- <laughs> replies Dusty. And holy shit, I want to see Dusty Rhodes in his prime versus Rey Mysterio Jr. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> I, I, have you have you seen that gif that was kind of going around on Twitter the last couple of days of uh, of Dusty Rhodes doing the uh, the head scissors? No, oh yes, with uh, against Andre the Giant. Yeah, yeah, I did see that. Yeah, That's, so so we know that like, yeah, he, he, he could he could fare well against oh, Rey Mysterio. He can work lucha clearly. <laughs> Ray escapes the figure four and heads to the outside, and you can see what a precarious situation this ring is. Because in order to be seen by the crowd, who is just on flat ground mm-hmm. for as far as the eye can see, they have erected a platform maybe four feet high or so. So there's the that's about you know above the ground, and then there's about three to four feet from the edge of the ring to this platform. So basically, if you leave the room, you've only got about four feet before you just fall to the ground. Yeah, and those four feet are covered in gym mats. So this means that basically everyone can see, but it negates a lot of options for the workers, especially guys like Ray and Ultimo Dragon, who do a lot of dives and stuff outside the ring. Mm-hmm. And I and also I wanted to point out, this is like the first match of the pay-per-view, but the, the mats are already dirty as hell. <laughs> well, yeah, because eight matches have gone on before it. Yeah, I, I to- that I didn't that didn't occur to me at the time. I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh God, like if people are gonna be Dropping it to the floor, yeah. their backs are just going to be all like dirty and sweaty and gross. Mike Tanay wishes the best to Jushin Liger with his brain tumor that I believe we touched on in the uh, Observe This section of our last Nitro episode. Uh-huh. Uh, he's got a brain tumor. He's dealing with it. We, we touched on his brain tumor. <laughs> yeah, and it, he did the hokey pokey. <laughs> <laughs> we get a surfboard from Dragon, but Ray's leg pops out. So he quickly just, he's like, well, this isn't working. So he turns around and turns it into a pin, kind of good improvisation. Mm-hmm. Ray avoids a second attempt at a, back, a handspring back elbow by Dragon, who ends up in the corner. Ray charges at Dragon, who flips him over the top rope. Thinking Ray has surely crashed to the floor, Ultimo <laughs> Dragon plays the crowd, allowing Ray to surprise him with a springboard dropkick to the back, which sends Dragon to the floor. We get a baseball slide from Ray that knocks Dragon from the platform outside the ring all the way down to the actual dirt ground. Uh, and not to spoil, well, who gives a shit? That's the only match of any of these that actually fights on the ground outside the ring. I was surprised that more people didn't go there. Yeah, and it seemed like it's different, so why don't you play off of the fact that y- there's, like, these different levels. You you go down to the floor, then you go down to the ground yeah. sort of thing. I was really surprised, especially, like, Flair. Um, you'd think that Eddie would have done one of his huge, like, dives, maybe not from the top you know of the ring post all the way down to the ground but from like the platform yeah. to the ground but or like just, or like flare powders to the the floor then powders to the ground again yeah just like something he always finds a way to like just give himself as far removed from the ring as possible ray hits a massive springboard plancha all the way down to the dirt which is huge and amazing so of course the camera misses almost all of him launching himself <laughs> yes. this is maybe the high spot of the entire evening yeah. And they don't get a shot of it. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Back in the ring, Ray gets a top rope Hercarana on Dragon. He attempts another springboard something, but Dragon catches him with a drop kick in a very nice spot. Ray regroups on the outside, and Dragon tries to get him with a 619, or like a 619, because Ray's actually standing outside the ring, mm-hmm. and misses. 
So Dragon holds onto the top rope and shoots feet first over the middle rope to catch Ray in the face with a with a kick. It's really, really cool. He then skins the cat back into the ring to avoid being grabbed by Ray. Ultimo Dragon gets a big slingshot plancha of his own, but this time they stay on the gym mats. They don't go all the way to the ground for this one. Both men get back in the ring and Dragon gets a German suplex for two. He then hits a quebrada and signals for the end of the match. A subsequent moonsault, though, only gets a two count and Sonny Ono bitches on the outside. <laughs> Dragon again goes for his running powerbomb, but this time Ray turns it into another Rana. Ray sets Dragon on the top rope and goes for a top rope Rana, but Dragon pushes him off. Ray quickly springs off the second rope and catches Dragon still on the top rope with another attempt at a top rope Hurricanrana, this one successful for the 1-2-3 victory in just under 15 minutes. Ray then tries to get the crowd to rev their engines in, like, excitement. Yeah. And eventually they do, but it takes, like, an uncomfortable length of time where they don't know what the fuck this dude's doing, making <laughs> this, like, <laughs> motion yeah. with his hand. Or, or maybe they're like, don't tell us what to do with our bikes, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, eventually they do, and it's pretty cool, and I think they kind of catch on to that as, like, a thing they can do the rest of the evening. Mm-hmm. I think that's when it, like, dawns on them, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't, I'm sorry, bikers. <laughs> <laughs> I think I mentioned before, my stepdad went to Sturgis many years, and God help me, I keep forgetting to ask him if he ever saw the wrestling there, but he knows I'm into it. I feel like he would have mentioned that at some point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so if I say anything mean about bikers, like, I bikers are in my family. It's I, I don't mean it. <laughs> my dad has bikes, huh? but I don't care. <laughs> I'll make fun if I want to. The Cruiserweight Champion celebrates his successful defense as we see some replays. Now, I thought this was a pretty good match with a lot of fun spots. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not like one of the top 15 cruiserweight matches you're going to see. It's it's not like one of the legendary cruiserweight matches, but it, it's a good opener. Yeah. Uh, nothing huge wrong with it. I think these two, I hope we see a really good rematch between the two because I think in a normal ring uh, without this raised platform kind of thing, I think these two could really pull out all the stops, uh, especially since this is their first match together. You know, they're just kind of learning each other's ticks. Uh, so I would love to see these two face off a little bit down the road. What did you think of the match? Uh, well, I know that at in the day, I was a really big Ultimo Dragon fan. I really yeah. liked him. And, and as far as, like, if you're a guy making your debut, if I feel like I want to see more of your matches, then you had a really successful debut. And for him, I and immediately with uh, Ultimo Dragon, Raymond Stewart, I was like, I want to see more of this, you know? Um, yeah. I thought, yeah, I thought it was really good. I think um, it's, it. I mean, because typically when we've had nitros, they either done like a cruiserweight match or the big bruiser match in order to start off the show. And I feel like maybe for the bikers, like the like the bruiser match might have been a better way to start it off. But then again, they've already had eight matches. So. Right. Well, um, on paper, I would agree with you, but our big bruiser match is coming up, and I don't think it would have fired up anybody. Oh, yeah. I mean. <laughs> but I, get, I do understand what you're saying. I think um, – Given the reactions, and we'll talk about the bikers' reaction certainly, um, but given kind of the way that it ends up playing out, I would think in retro and there is, this is no criticism on anybody because you could not know this going in. But in retrospect, the match which gonna would, that's going to generate the most heat is the Steiners versus Harlem Heat. Yep. So if you were to see how it plays out and then plan this out with like you know in your time machine, mm-hmm. I would have I guess I would have put that first. Tag team matches are good openers in a lot of situations anyway. Yeah. Um, but it seems like that that match certainly, for a variety of reasons that we will go into, mm-hmm. uh, gets a big reaction from the crowd. Mean Gene is looking like a real tough biker 
as he's wearing jeans, a tucked-in white T-shirt that looks brand new. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's like a bright, bright white. Yeah. And a denim vest, along with some shades, and a Turner Sports ball cap. <laughs> he plugs the hotline a bit and then goes right back to Tony, who talks about this year's Sturgis event as we see some B-roll of bikes and crowds, etc. Tony asks Bobby if he's ever seen anything like this, and Bobby's response, I, I didn't write down what it was, and it's fine, but it is the first, I, I just wrote that it's the first time in the show that, that you can start to perceive a little slur in his words. Okay. And let's kind of talk about this now, because it's, I'm sure, going to come up a number of times. <laughs> yes. Bobby Heenan gets shit-faced during the show. He starts off maybe a little drunk, like a tiny, almost imperceptibly amount of drunk. Mm-hmm. And he moves like as you you can, if you just put on any moment of the show, I could tell you about how far into the show you are just by hearing how drunk Heenan is. Yeah. Because he starts as like just a little bit and it's not even like his voice as much as it's the things that he's saying and the it, way he's kind of repeating himself. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and the way that a lot of his commentary comes down to just like seeing a big move and then going like, oh, yeah, which is like he's normally making quips and stuff. But here he's just like, oh, that's got to hurt kind of like bullshit. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it like moves on to like a uncomfortably drunk uncle at a family wedding who is just like grabbing you and like just going on about like. Whatever bullshit. Yeah. Whatever pops like, in their head, basically. Yeah, and you're like, you know, Uncle Tom, like, this is normally fine, but, like, right now you're just, you're talking too close to me, your breath is really hot, and I just want to be yeah. anywhere other than listening to you. you. Use your indoor voice, please. <laughs> yes. And then it moves on past that to, like, this is just a fucking shit show. Mm. He's plastered. And the best thing you can say about his commentary at that point is that there's minutes between him saying things. Right. He will vanish from commentary for minutes at a time. And Tony and Dusty eventually will stop trying to even get him to talk. Uh, And at times they'll openly laugh at him and egg him on and ask him follow-up questions just Mm -hmm. to laugh at them. Yeah. Um, So we'll talk about each of those examples, but I just sort of wanted to tee it up right now and just say that that's certainly a big theme of the show it's something that's been talked about a lot um if you listen to tony shivani's podcast where he covers this pay-per-view he's very upfront about being like yeah bobby was drinking from some bottle the entire show i could tell that he was getting drunk afterward dusty and i were like wow like that was a complete mess i can't believe that he got so hammered during the show uh eric bischoff for whatever reason uh, on his podcast covering this, they they read him me asking the question on Twitter. They took like fan questions, mm-hmm. and Bischoff acted like indignant that such a disrespectful question would even be asked. Like, yeah, and this was before Bobby died. This he was just like, that's ridiculous. What an insane question. What how disrespectful can you get? Fuck you, Bischoff. Like, <laughs> the guy but, that was sitting next to him yeah. that would be most likely to cover for him was yeah. like he was shit faced. Bischoff knows that he was shitfaced. Bischoff just doesn't admit, want to admit that he was the executive vice president of a company where you were allowed to go on live television drunk off your ass and have no repercussions for that. Mm-hmm. That's just something that Eric Bischoff did not want to go on the record admitting, so he acted like m- offended that it was even asked. And 
it just I don't know just his reaction to sort of criticize the question really pissed me off because it's a completely legitimate question mm. um, and if you just want to say hey you know what that's personal and I'd rather not get it that's kind of a performance what that's fine but yeah. he acted like it was stupid to even ask and and that's just ridiculous yeah. and, and I was kind of wondering and I was I was glad that you that you had that part from Tony because the whole time I was like he it's not clearing up like he's not sobering up no it gets worse yeah and so I was like that, that like halfway through the show, I'm wondering. So he has to be drinking while he's at the commentating table, but I had no way to figure out if he actually was. So that's I was happy you got that because I was like, because it's such a long show, right? If he had stopped like at the beginning, I mean, he would be like angry, right? But <laughs> he would he would have gotten he would have cleared up. But no, it does progress progressively get worse. And I also I felt like that Dusty was a little bit, a little bit, but I can't tell because it, Dusty hard says to tell. weird stuff. Yeah, because like if he mispronounces things, that's just Dusty. Um, if he is like being goofy, or there's one part where he's trying to think of the word millennium, and he says like ininium. Yeah, <laughs> I have some I have some notes here about like weird things that he talks about. Yeah, me too. So I don't I don't know. Maybe he was just like he was like oh. Gotta gotta clear up for this, but I kind of suspected that he certainly not the level of Bobby Heenan, right. but but he also just seemed to kind of like play along a little bit too much with when Bobby Heenan was just going way off topic. So I don't I don't know, just thought that food for thought, I guess. Now the one thing I've I've heard said in Heenan's defense, uh, or I guess just to explain a little bit, he was apparently terrified to be in the middle of all these bikers. Uh, go, just going back to his days in the territories, like he remembers when a heel managers like got stabbed, yeah. when heel wrestlers got attacked, and even though that's kind of over more or less by 1996, I think he thought like we're going into a place that's potentially dangerous for anybody, let alone a guy who's known as like a hated heel. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that it was in part that fear that sort of led him to drink to sort of calm his nerves. And I think one drink became another and just kind of tumbled down to yeah. the point where he was, like, really embarrassing himself. By the way, he w- went to a place that there have been a number of mysterious, unsolved deaths. <laughs> yes, So exactly. <laughs> we get a pretty good shot of the crowd next from the helicopter that WCW has filming the show. Uh, and then out comes Scott Norton to in a very ambivalent crowd. They mm-hmm. just They don't boo him. They don't cheer him. They're just like, okay, here's a guy. And and I don't know if he has different music or if the audio was just really off. Yeah. But I could not figure out if I heard his theme music before. I'm not sure either. Um, yeah. And it's like it's really weird because the audio is like on and off for quality as the show goes on. You know, it. I don't. That doesn't make sense to me. That like, why does it work for like one theme song but then not another one? You know. Yeah. The only thing i can think of is that some are dubbed over and others aren't but that's just a stab in the dark Mm -hmm. now next uh out is ice train and we get his old good music i remember there was an episode from the disney uh five week stretch where he came out to just different theme music and i was like he has the best theme in wcw why would you change it yeah well somebody realized because they went back to the old music thank Mm -hmm. god (laughs) ice train comes out taped up due to being mangled uh, by the giant recently where he was chokeslammed teddy long was chokeslammed uh, it was our last episode of Nitro that we talked about. So he's still taped up. Uh, he's injured. This is, of course, a battle of two big hosses who have been teaming together for a few months, but their lack of success finally caused Norton to attack Ice Train, leading to this match. 
by the way, you're very generous when you say that he's taped up. Yeah. It looks like he has like 15 rolls of toilet paper around his arm. <laughs> and it immediately goes to shit. Like as soon as they start wrestling and it's like ice train has a handicap of having all this stuff like draping off of his arm for, I don't, this is not a very long match, but it's immediately, it's just like he has to deal with that the whole time. (laughs) Randy Anderson calls for the bell and these two start circling each other. Tony asked dusty. What happens if Hogan wins the title tonight? Does the belt become the property of the NWO? Dusty's exact response is, and I quote, no, no, I tell you, no, it does not. It signed the WCW title match, and I guarantee you one thing. Don't bet against the Giant. Everybody talking Hulk Hogan. I made the scenario go and the little soliloquy about him being, uh, uh, Hogan being, uh, uh, such a been there before, man. <laughs> well, the Giant said, how dare you? And the bottom line is, we're going to find out how dare you tonight at Hogwild. <laughs> I did... I did note Hulk Hogan <laughs> is such a been there before man. <laughs> We're going to find out how dare you tonight. Right. That's <laughs> <laughs> the big the big question coming to this pay-per-view is how dare you? <laughs> the, the quote just like kept on it was amazing and it just kept on getting better. Yeah. Scenario is a great word. Mm-hmm. It's Dusty is a national treasure. I love that man. That was the quote where I was starting to wonder about Dusty. By the way, I, but but I, it also like you said, and like anyone knows, yeah. Dusty <laughs> can say stuff that sounds like you're drunk. Uh, I don't have a ton of notes for this match. I'll just I'll run through them basically. Yeah, uh, we get a lot of brawling with Norton attacking the shoulder, a lot of chops and punches. Heenan says that these two guys just couldn't get along as a team. Opposites attract, and opposites subtract figure that out <laughs> he does have some decent lines tonight that's one of the better ones mm-hmm. they head outside the ring for more brawling with norton firmly in control sending train into the ring post a scoop slam by a beleaguered ice train is the first real move of this match and it comes a solid three and a half minutes in yeah <laughs> tony calls this the split of one of the most effective tag teams over the last few months which wait is, <laughs> whoa whoa <laughs> like not only is that just a lie yeah. But it's also even in kayfabe, it's a lie because the entire reason they're having this match is they kept losing and Scott Norton hated it. Yeah. So, like, even in kayfabe, what he's saying makes no sense. Right. <laughs> Train keeps getting tiny hope spots where, like, he gets a good punch, but Norton immediately cuts all of them off. Mm-hmm. And finally, the finish scenes Train get a power slam for two. He clotheslines Norton a few times, but Norton hits an arm breaker DDT and locks on a Fujiwara armbar. Train then submits at around five minutes into the match. <laughs> um, the only other note I had um, was that there was a point where Ice Train was like he was like belly down on the mat, and his arm was late was like held out mm-hmm. to for uh, Norton to leg drop on it. Yeah, but like Ice Train wasn't paying attention, so he started like kind of like doing a push up with that arm mm-hmm. and almost got the leg drop like right on his elbow. And I was like, oh, he was like so close to getting like. A severe injury because like all that weight landing on his arm like that um but other than that it was just i was just focused on all the toilet paper on his arm yeah and and that was like scott norn is a far more advanced in his wrestling than ice train it should not take him five minutes to beat him especially if he has one arm yeah, I mean, if I move through that really quick it's because i mean the brawling wasn't even good brawling it was yeah. just 
you punch me, I punch you. You chop me, I chop you for minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just was really bad. And I had high hopes for this match because I love big hosses throwing each other around. There was very little throwing in this match. It was just chop, punch, chop, punch. Uh, I'm a big Ice Train fan, um, but this killed Ice Train. He's he's dead. Yeah. He came into, you know, they were tag team partners who teamed up because they, they kept facing each other and they couldn't, if I remember right, they like couldn't get definitive wins over each other. So eventually they were like, why don't we team up? And they did, and then they didn't have success. And But they kind of came in on equal footing, is my point. Yeah. And then they leave with Norton just dismantling Ice Train, controlling him most of the match, and then submitting him in the middle of the ring. Mm-hmm. I mean, what more is going to come out of Ice Train? He's done. Yeah, I, I, I was noting that it's like this team was broken up way too early. Um, I, the one thing I strain could use is a tag team partner that's a veteran that could just help him with like mm-hmm. the basics of wrestling, and and the fact that they were like far, be like far before Ice Train's ready to do like a singles feud or anything like that. He's thrown into a situation that he's just not equipped for, and looks terrible. Mm-hmm. He, they made him look terrible, and and you're right. It's just like, where does he go from here? Like how how can he possibly get his like. Um, get the train back on the tracks. (laughs) (laughs) After the bell, Norton refuses to break the hold for a bit. If you listen real carefully, you can hear Dave Penzer announce that the actual finish was that Randy Anderson determined that train could not continue. Mm -hmm. So it's not that train gave up. It's that it was a ref stoppage. So this slightly would protect ice train. If the announcers mentioned it at all, you have to like be listening in the background for what the fuck Dave Penzer saying. Yeah. That's the only way he would actually know. It's from the very first Nitro. It's just, I always point out how much it's a detriment that you can't hear the announcer because a lot of like a lot of storytelling is that announcer like introducing the wrestlers or telling you what had what the result was. And they just like from the, the entire history of Nitro. Or WW besides Michael Buffer, you'd never hear the intros. Hogan, Nash, Hall, whoever. You hurt my best friend. Didn't matter whether I was standing the sting and Luger. Through association, they could be in an ambulance with me, they could be in my home. If Arn Anderson's down, I'm there. I mean, Arn Anderson and I have been up and down this road for 15 years, man. We have bled, we have sweat, and we've cried. The emotion in this business is huge. It's hard. It's hard on you personally. I had decided in my own mind that Hogan and the New World Order and the Horsemen could coexist. But then they jumped on Arn Anderson. And it became a whole new awareness, a whole new ball game. This is our business. We stand top by getting involved. My other real friend in life is, is, is this company. This company is the best. I'll stand up for it. I'll fight for it. It's on now. It's on the table. It's us. It's survival of the fittest. It doesn't matter whether I like Sting or Sting likes me or Luger. It's one company now trying to be taken over by another. If the New World Order wants to make their mark and to really score, you've got your opportunity now. 
because the horsemen are involved. Two of us can't survive. Two companies can't survive. Go to bed with that thought tonight. We see some footage of a great locker room interview with Ric Flair that aired on Saturday night before the show. This is very different from what we're used to with Flair, where he is like completely subdued and he's talking much more like Richard Fleer, the man, not Ric Flair, the character. Sure. He talks about his friendship with Arn and how much the Enforcer means to him. Flair had believed that the horsemen in the NWO could coexist until they jumped Arn. Flair also says that the other friend he has is WCW, and he's willing to fight for it, along with Sting, Luger, or anybody. The two of us can't survive, says Flair. Two companies can't survive. And he doesn't know how right he was. <laughs> um, I just I thought it was a weird uh, note that he said that he thought that the horsemen and the NWO could coexist. Yeah. I just... I don't feel like that the people of WCW have had that opinion so far, like the NWO as the invading force. And the, there was never this idea that they would coexist. I think he just means that he didn't see a reason for the horsemen to get involved with all this NWO stuff. They had their own goals and aspirations. Yeah. And it wasn't until the NWO picked a fight by going after Arn Anderson that they were like, okay, now we're going to make you our business. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of what he was going for. Uh, I thought this interview is great. It just seems like an odd fit to put in the middle of a pay-per-view. Um, it's much more something that deserves to be on Saturday night, which is why it was on Saturday night. Uh, it's just I don't I didn't quite get like why have clips of like a backstage interview. I mean, or, or, or like a pre-taped, you know, vignette kind of thing rather than like a, a honest to God promo about, I don't know, his match with Eddie Guerrero that's actually taking place tonight. Um. The only the only thought I had was if um the Kawasaki motorcycle was being brought out. No, because we see Sonny Ono ride that up. Oh, you mean like brought up to the back entrance area? Yeah. Yeah, like um that they needed some time for uh the motorcycles to get set up. Yeah, I suppose that's uh that's definitely possible. It's another one of those videos that just is super nineties looking too. We get another aerial shot from the helicopter of all the bikes along the main drag of Sturgis, as Tony tells us about some of the fun in Sturgis this week, and then gets a plug-in for the Buffalo Chip Campground. (laughs) Buffalo Chip means poop, right? Like the chip is like the poop? Yeah. Hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) He probably said it like he didn't didn't get that. We we then get a commercial for the official Hogwild t-shirt and jacket. Oh, do we ever. <laughs> the denim Hogwild jacket is 89.95 and another 9.95 for shipping. It, and that is in 1996. I, I was about to say like 20 years ago. That's like I I tried really hard to yeah. get a uh, a screen cap of the guy cuz they 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 show a picture about of him in posing trying to look as cool as right. possible yeah yes it, but it was always just really blurry but like this commercial is awesome and then yeah. jimmy hart shows up and jimmy hart can't fucking believe how great this merchandise is <laughs> 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 yes that is an accurate description <laughs> that's a sort of commercial it would make sense if like if you're trying to hype it up to the people in the audience right but it's like are you enjoying this pay-per-view you should get a shirt with the pay-per-view on it. <laughs> I don't it just it seemed yeah. like it was a weird thing to market. I agree, but on the other hand, if I found one of those on eBay right now, I'd pay like three hundred dollars for it. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the the jacket. The jacket. Yeah, not the t shirt. No, the t yeah, the t shirt was just like pretty much screen print, so 
No, but that jacket was something else. <laughs> Next up is the Big Medusa Bull Nakano Battle of the Bikes. Out first is Sunny Ono and Bull Nakano. Ono rides a Honda, a Japanese Honda, Boo. to the ring while Nakano marches cu- clutching her nunchucks. <laughs> Bobby calls Ono the kamikaze cyclist, but he's really starting to slur much more than earlier, and so cyclist sounds like cyclist. <laughs> so I had to, I actually had to turn on the closed captions to figure out what he said. <laughs> Then Bobby calls Sturgis Sturgis, <laughs> so it is really starting to crumble for old Mr. Heenan. <laughs> if it if it's getting to the point you have to use like what you use for Mongo, yeah, it's yeah. not going well for him. <laughs> Next is Medusa, who comes out on her Harley. It's pink and it has some USA stuff on it, so it's like the most Medusa possible bike. Mm-hmm. Nakano starts off with a couple nunchuck shots before the bell rings that Randy Eller mostly fails to see. He also works very hard not to see the ones she hits after the bell rings. We get some, uh, I don't know what to call them, uh, hair whips from Nakano? Well, no, she's not whipping someone. She's whipping uh, Medusa by the hair. She's, like, tossing her across the ring by the hair. Yeah. You see that in a lot of women's matches. Yeah, it, there's not, is there, like, a Is phrase? it a snap mare? A hair mare? Like a... A hair mare. I wonder if it's a hair mare. Hair mare super scare? <laughs> I'm sorry. Or, like, a hair... Hair toss, hair drag. Sure, yeah. Uh, um, by the way, at the very beginning, yeah, uh, Dusty and Bobby are screaming about nunchucks. <laughs> like, like for for one thing, Dusty yeah. is like in disbelief that nunchucks are in the ring, basically. Yeah, yeah. And and Bobby, you know, just like in his mode by then. But like, I I just wrote down the note nunchuck because they say it so many times right. at the very beginning. Uh, the whatever we're calling them, hair hair mares. I'm going with that. Hair, sure. Uh, they look great because Medusa just throws herself across the ring, making yeah. Nakano look like a complete badass. Uh, I don't remember the year. I think it was '94, right? These two had a pretty big feud over in WWF. Yep. Uh, so this is just kind of a rehash of that, except now instead of Alundra Blaze, she's going by Medusa. And there's no title. Yes, and there just isn't a woman's title. <laughs> there's one in the garbage somewhere. We get a face buster from Nakano who poses the crowd and is thusly angered by their USA chants. Ooh. Tony tries to explain that after the match, a sledgehammer will be used to destroy the bike of the loser, but Dusty protests, she didn't use a sledgehammer. It was nunchucks. <laughs> <laughs> you just totally misunderstood what Tony is <laughs> saying. But I... I like that he was quick to correct it, though. <laughs> they were definitely nunchucks. Those were not. That was not that a sledgehammer. Sledge <laughs> Come on, Tony. We get a slam from Nakano, but Medusa, but Medusa gracefully escapes the pin and hits a sling blade, sling blade type move. I didn't. It wasn't quite a sling blade, but that's what it was like. Uh, the way she escapes the pin is kind of cool, though. She kind of like Neo in the Matrix, like limbo's her way out. It's very, yeah. very cool. Um, yeah. I, Already, you can tell because we saw we had a couple matches of Medusa versus uh, Malia Hosaka. Yes, and you could tell there's a lot better chemistry between these two. Absolutely. Um, yeah, just for what it is and the dumb gimmick that it has, this is a pretty decent short match. Yeah, because uh, it's worth mentioning. Not only did they have that big WWF feud, uh, Medusa spent time in Japan, so she's worked with Nakano in Japan as well. Mm-hmm. These two women are very, very familiar with each other. Nakano locks on an inverted sharpshooter double chicken wing, a.k.a. the scorpion crosslock, a.k.a. the page's tap out. Yeah. 
Uh, Which is an awesome move. It's so cool looking. If you can like lock it on relatively quickly instead of like fumbling with it forever, it looks great. And I, I just feel like it's more effective if it's like a bigger person that's doing it. Sure. It, it looks like a strength based sort of thing. Of course, she lets go for no reason and <laughs> right. hits a draping DDT uh, from the top rope on like the middle, you know, um, Orton always does his from the middle rope. Mm-hmm. She drapes on the top rope, which that much more effective. Ha <laughs> ha, Randy. <laughs> Randall. <laughs> Randall Orton. Uh, the announcer spent a long time trying to figure out if a 200 pound woman equals a 400 pound man. <laughs> They talk about it for a long... And they're just like, I don't know. Do you think that's right? No, it seems about right to me. Because <laughs> they're, they're, they're different, you know? Better, bigger. And the crowd chants Harley in support of Medusa and America and overrated bad motorcycles that are pointlessly loud. Oh! <laughs> yeah. You said you were going to be nice. Yeah. I like bikers, <laughs> and, and I don't... I'm, motorcycles are cool. I have a... Harleys are just... I don't like Harleys that much. They I don't. They don't affect my everyday they, life. That, no, that's true. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's one of those things that I have an opinion on that really I shouldn't. Like, who gives a shit? <laughs> you wake up in the middle of the night, like every night, <laughs> fucking Harley's. Ah. Medusa fights her way out of a side headlock, but Bull tosses her to the mat, and they exchange some hard kicks. Bull misses a clothesline, and Medusa hits a hurricanrana for two. A spinning wheel kick from Medusa connects nicely, but a second misses, and Nakano hits a lariat for a two count. Bull goes for a German, but Medusa reverses it for one of her own, which looks amazing. Like when Medusa German suplexes Bull Nakano, it looks awesome. (laughs) She holds on for a bridging pin, but Bull kicks out at two. Bull then hits a bridging back suplex, and here the finish of this match gets totally fucked up. Mm -hmm. What is meant to happen is Bull is supposed to keep the bridge, and both women have their shoulders down in the mat. But right before Randy Eller counts three, Medusa will raise one shoulder... And because she's technically on top of Bull, this will be a three-count on Nakano, and Medusa will win the match. What actually happens in reality is Medusa lifts her elbow right on time, but Randy Eller either doesn't know or forgets the finish because he just stops the count. He's like, oh, Medusa kicked out, but he doesn't realize that Nakano is the one being pinned here. Yeah. So Medusa and Nakano are now completely thrown off. They unfortunately don't have the best improvisation skills in this particular moment in time so medusa goes for a sunset flip that gets a two it looks like medusa thinks this is going to be a two count but bull thinks this is going to be the new finish so bull doesn't kick out and medusa just acts like she did kick out yeah so like they've had a fucked up finish now they try to come up with a new finish and that got fucked up so instead what do they do they just go back to the original finish yeah Bull hits a bridging back suplex. They both have their shoulders on the mat. Medusa gets her shoulder up just in time. And this time, Randy Eller calls for the bell like he was supposed to do in the first place. Man, I spoke too soon when I said this was a decent match. (laughs) It was. It was a good match up to that point. Mm -hmm. And then, unfortunately, it really became a mess. Ono and Bull think they've won. So they grab the sledgehammer, and Ono makes a big show of preparing to hit Medusa's bike. (laughs) Of course, he can't actually, because that's probably like her real Harley, and it's damaging it's not in the cards tonight right so he does one weak hit right on the rubber seat the most protected part of the entire thing (laughs) i'll show you (laughs) and then medusa's uh oh and then randy eller is on uh like on his case explaining that medusa has actually won the match uh you would not know that from the announcers though they don't even know that the match is over at this point they're very confused (laughs) medusa throws gravel from the road at ono and seizes the sledgehammer and starts to take on the honda 
unfortunately, what sounded cool on paper, Medusa destroying a Honda with a sledgehammer, yeah. is very lame in practice. Like, it's not like you hit the Harley and, like, it makes a, or, or the Honda and it makes a huge dent or, like, it just crumbles or sparks shoot off. She just hits it and it's still just a motorcycle. <laughs> like, it right. still looks. So she does the, the only thing she really can. She shatters the headlight. She damages the fiberglass a little bit and kind of pulls off some of the, the the siding or whatever the fuck you want to call it. Yeah. And then she pushes it over because that's that's at least something. Right. The crowd is loving this. So, I mean, she's at least got that on her side. She's not doing anything wrong. It's just on paper you're like, and then you destroy it with a sledgehammer. And everyone's like, cool. And it's not the kind of thing you can practice exactly. <laughs> so no one had the chance to be like, oh, this is just kind of lame, actually. <laughs> or it's like. It, it, that's like it's a vehicle it's like it's gonna right. be hard to just like take it apart yeah it's designed to get in like accidents and be mostly okay you yeah. know uh, yeah like after she was done i was like i feel like for a few hundred bucks they'll be able to fix that up yes <laughs> eventually eller raises her arm which is when the announcers finally clue in that she did in <laughs> fact win the match Tony spent the entire time like i said just that she's smashing the bike he's trying to figure out what the hell of the end of the match was and he's like, I think maybe she got her shoulder up. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Then he asked the truck to get a replay of the ending and then says, I'm told that we cannot. <laughs> this that this is another case of when you're when what you're reminded, like, oh, that's right. They don't tell the announcers. Yes. yes. So he legitimately is like, how am I supposed to call this? Yeah. I didn't figure out what the result was. Yeah. May I see a replay? No. OK, <laughs> I, whatever. I just. Imagine he's looking out to the side and there's a guy just like shaking his head. <laughs> no, we can't. <laughs> we cut to backstage where the Steiners are on CompuServe chatting with friends, except for Rick. <laughs> oh, they're boy. supposed to be chatting with fans. That's what they're selling. They're supposed to be using computers. Yes. The Steiners are supposed to be using computers. Rick is pretending instead to, pay, to be playing a video game on his laptop. Which includes him making loud motor sounds. Just vroom. Yeah, really. And he's just like, Scott, do you get it? Yeah. It's like I'm a car. <laughs> and Scott's looking over like, no, no, it's a computer. You type stuff. This absolutely delights Dusty Rhodes, though. <laughs> you know what they're doing? They're playing one of those games. <laughs> right. It's just, what, he's so happy about which, it. Which for Dusty, it that was like for me a pretty good cover for like Rick doesn't know what a computer is. Right. Right. <laughs> because he's still like, he's pounding on it. Like he's typing, yeah. but he's making car sounds <laughs> like it doesn't make any sense. I also like this exchange. Tony goes, Oh, looks like they're having a good time. And brain goes, of course they are. Their hats are on backwards. <laughs> yeah, that was... <laughs> That's international sign for having a good time. <laughs> right. <laughs> Tony asks the Tony asks the truck if we're going to mean Gene and then complains that he's being given two different answers to that question. <laughs> and then we don't go to mean Gene. We just stay there and Dean Malenko's entrance music hits and he is out for his big match against Chris Benoit. Uh, but before we see him, we get a couple of crowd shots, including a dude wearing a straight up Nazi SS T-shirt, which I was alerted to today on Twitter by uh, at underscore Burning Spirits, which is the account for Burning Spirits Puro Podcast that you all should definitely check out. Mm. Uh, I haven't listened to the show. I will. Uh, but I can tell you that that guy knows exactly where in pay-per-views you can see assholes wearing Nazi T-shirts. <laughs> I was I was talking about just kind of the bikers in general and their reaction to Harlem Heat that we'll see later. 
Um, and I pointed out a guy wearing like or who had the Iron Cross on his motorcycle, mm-hmm. and uh, this guy like instantly was like, "Oh yeah, there's a guy in an SS T-shirt right before the Malenko match," and sure enough, that's exactly where this guy was. Oh, is that yeah? Is that when they're kind of looking towards the ring and it's like on his back? Yeah, yeah. Because I because I I actually rewatched this match before I came over here, and yeah. I was like. I know what that symbol is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, it's kind that's of that's not the Harley logo. It's kind of funny because I don't think it was. It certainly wasn't intentional, but I, they didn't even know it was there because in the foreground of the shot are these two. It's like a couple where the guy isn't wearing a shirt and the girl's wearing like a bikini. Yeah, and I think they're showing it from the back just to be like, "Ooh, this girl's wearing a bikini." And then they like they take a step away from each other, and all of a sudden between them is the guy in the Nazi T-shirt. Like yeah. the way they stand suddenly reveals Nazi T-shirt. Yeah. So they had no idea that was coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, just just sort of an odd thing. Malenko certainly was not expecting come out, to come out just yet because his music plays forever before he comes out with Jimmy Hart at his side. Mm-hmm. Jimmy loudly reminds him of the deal that they had where Malenko will get a title shot uh, against Rey Mysterio if he manages to take out Benoit. Now, in fact, they've already shot and aired a rematch between Malenko and Rey. It aired this very morning on Worldwide. For some reason, they shot it. For some reason, they aired it, even though a storyline is all about how he's trying to get a rematch. And then, even in, like, they could have just ignored that. They could have pretended like the syndicated shows are non-canon or that no one watches them. Right. But no... Tony actually says that that match took place on yeah. television, and he says that that shows that Hart already held up his side of the bargain. Yeah. So in storyline, Hart has already delivered that match, and Malenko is still just honoring his end of the deal here tonight in the pay-per-view because he's a good guy, I guess. <laughs> well, because that was the deal. Benoit is out to some funky music that I guess is his solo music that I just don't remember. A real mistake not coming out to the Horseman theme, especially because on the main show... Uh, it's not going to get used since Flair comes out to his own music. Mm-hmm. So why not come out to the Sweet Horseman theme? That was a real mistake in my opinion. He comes out with Liz and Woman. Liz is in biker stuff and Woman is in black shorts, a red, white, and blue bustier, and a black sport coat. Uh, here to call all of the action between the Canadian Crippler and the Iceman. I was going to make up a nickname for him and then I was like, oh, he has one. It's the Iceman. <laughs> he, has, he has a few of them. He's <laughs> <laughs> our own. Dave Amantorp. All right. Well, uh, going going into this uh, this matchup, I was going to mention that uh, a couple of uh, recording sessions ago, after we recorded, I was making the bold statement that this might be the best wrestle match in WCW history. Hmm. Um. And 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 this, I was saying that knowing that I haven't seen this match in a while. And then I was trying to think about like, well, when was when did I see this match last? And then I remembered, I'm pretty sure the last time I saw this match was when they had that Monday Night Raw when they were showing just Chris Benoit matches. When when they had uh, Raw, Raw did not play because of the the death of the Benoit family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was the last time that I saw the match. So I was like, oh, I'm, I just remember that this is such an amazing match. But I haven't seen it in such a long time, so I, I'm really interested to see how well it's like aged. During, mm-hmm. um, but, but I also like the fact that the, that with Benoit Malenko, there's no stipulations, there's mm. no titles. I mean, there was this agreement that this is the reason why Malenko's facing Benoit. But then it's just like, over, since we started doing the the nitros, um, these are the two guys that have kind of come across as like the next young, like great talented wrestlers. Yep, and they just have not 
they're they're they have not like uh, met up in the ring yet to kind of like test each other out, and now they're having this opportunity to just see like who, who maybe who is the best like next young guy in WCW. Uh, but I do like like when Jimmy Hart came out with Dean Malenko, you could hear him that like all you have to do is take care of Benoit, which I'm like. That's sound advice. I'm sure he needed direction on that. <laughs> Remember to beat your opponent. <laughs> right. And then Jimmy Hart also had like the weird like elbow brace or something like that on. Oh, I like, didn't, even, I I didn't notice at all. But um, I don't know. Maybe maybe he had like a bursitis or something like sure. that. Sure. So th- they start off strong back and forth with kicks and punches while Bobby and Dusty ramble on about the four horsemen. And which at this point, I, I feel like that they should just shut up and call the match. But I'm. I think we're kind of beyond that point. Neither men really get the upper hand to start, but that's to be expected. These are two Mac technicians who are used to controlling their matches. They're not used to being dominated. So the fact that they're kind of like colliding and no one's getting the advantage is Mm -hmm. kind of what you would expect. There's a nice vertical suplex that gets a two count for Dean Malenko, but the look on his face uh, kind of suggests that he knew it wasn't going to beat him. Um, So Malenko is right back on the offense. Malenko keeps Benoit on the mat with a headlock as Dusty and Bobby <laughs> ogle the horsewomen. <laughs> <laughs> the devilish women. I know that's kind These of a thing that they... devilish women. He he calls them that all the time, but it feels like tonight, for whatever reason, they amp it up to 15. They say devilish women so many goddamn times in this show. Yeah. Benoit slips out of the hold and he takes the offensive, which for him consists of violent strikes and headbutts. He's not interested in keeping this match technical. Bobby yells about possible new NWO members, which he is. He's yelling about it. Yes. And he addresses Dusty, Tony, and also Bobby. He he warns himself yes, about right. the fact that's that there right. might be a new NWO member. That's right. Which is like, I feel like you should put that clip in so, oh. you, so people have an idea like of what it sounds like. But he yeah. clearly warns himself as though he's another person there. Will do. <laughs> At this point, uh, Malenko and Benoit, they have a couple of instances like this where they do like the exchanging different variations of pinfall attempts, uh, except theirs looks fantastic because it's like so crisp and they're moving to from pinfall attempt to pinfall attempt. Um, it's just awesome. And at this point, I'm like, by the way, both these guys are really known for giving out like thunderous power bombs. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be disappointed if we don't see a couple of those by the end of this. Absolutely. Also, Benoit is sweating profusely already. Really? Like, it's like we're like five minutes in, and he's just drenched in sweat. I was wondering, because it, it, it certainly wasn't like it was in Disney, because you don't hear people talk about it, mm-hmm. but I was wondering how warm it was outdoors doing the show. I mean, it is August. It's South Dakota. Um, you know, that's kind of a deserty area. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't look miserable, but like you see a lot of people standing around with their shirts off, and these guys are about to have a very long match, so I wonder... I was just wondering offhandedly how much heat may have, have played a factor in anything that kind of goes on tonight. Yeah. Um, but I, I I said, like, Benoit is sweating profusely, which is expected since you're wrestling outside on maybe a hot day. But Malenko hasn't broken a sweat yet. Right. His name, his nickname, the Iceman, is not a <laughs> fucking joke. Uh, and, I, and this is still during, like, all their different attempts at pinning each other. Right. They both take turns doing when they when they bridge up on the other guy. Yes, and they both barely do it. Yeah, they both so both of them struggle, but they both like muscle their way through it. Yeah. So Benoit does that 
And then Malenko's like, well, I mean, I got to muscle through it yeah. too. Because <laughs> yeah. You could just tell, like, that's the way that both of those guys kind of think. It's like, yep. they can't show each other up. Um, And then at this point, Malenko p- applies a short arm scissors, which I thought was noteworthy because, like, Bobby and Dusty completely get focused again mm-hmm. at the short arm scissors. For some reason, they both love this move, in which Bobby <laughs> also brings up a Pat O'Connor reference, which... I don't know how long ago he wrestled, but I know that's like a really old name. Yeah, inventor of the O'Connor role, I believe. Well, that would make sense. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he has him in the short arm scissors. So Benoit p- does the pickup and he slams Malenko onto the mat. Again, it's like it, he struggles with it, but he just powers through it. And so both men are pretty much making sure they're exerting as much energy as possible, which maybe isn't a great idea like, five or seven minutes into this match. Um, But it's just like, for some reason, they both are like, no matter what happens, they have to get through everything. At this point, Benoit gets an abdominal stretch as Dusty starts complaining about the constant advancement of time, which because they mentioned something about his birthday and how his wife reminds him that his birthday is a year apart every year. Oh yeah. It's like, it's something really weird where he's complaining about the fact that he has birthdays every year. Yeah. I, I had a note and I took it out cause I was like, I didn't know how I was going to shove it in because it just, I, my note was very vague. Yeah. I just had a note that said, what the fuck was dusty saying about his birthday? Yeah. But I never <laughs> went back to find out. So Malenko arm drags his way out of the abdominal stretch, but Benoit is quick and with a headlock as Dusty talks about the upcoming millennium and how Mongo is getting better as a wrestler every day. Yeah, this is where he says the what do you call it? Inenium? Yeah. And they're like, Millennium? And he's like, Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> it might not be a word yet, but maybe I'll vent it. <laughs> just cool. <laughs> and I just I and then I liked how it's like Benoit Malenko are wrestling and he's talking about like how Mongo is becoming a better wrestler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come on, man. Benoit Malenko exchange blows in the middle of the ring before knocking each other down with a double crossbody collision. It looks great. I love yeah. when two guys go for the high cross and just like their bodies just bounce off each other kind of. Yeah, it's that... like it's like the they slam like it's a car wreck, basically. Yes. Meanwhile, the crowd is either tired or just not into this match. I feel like they're not into this match. I They'd agree. rather see brawling. Um, and you'll see later on that they're really not. This okay, match. so this is actually, let me let me stop you here, because this okay. is where I'll say kind of what I think about the fundamental problem with this match is that it's it's really the context in which the match is happening, because this match has a real, and, and I'm not all that versed in Japanese wrestling, so if somebody is out there listening and thinks I'm talking out of my ass, you're partially right. But <laughs> right. it has a very Japanese feel where there's not as much of a babyface heel dynamic. Mm-hmm. The babyface here, I guess, is Chris Benoit. Right? Because the four horsemen are more or less a babyface group now. Yeah. Except he is the heel that's still, like, he is a part of a babyface group, but he's a heel. Like, Flair is a babyface now. Yeah. He's the leader of the group. But every time you see Benoit, he's still like viciously attacking guys in the corner and kicking the shit out of him. Mm-hmm. So it's tough to say that he actually is a babyface. But Malenko is the one who's being like paid by a heel group to come in here and like hurt this guy. Yeah. So he's certainly not the babyface. Mm-hmm. Neither one of them wrestle a babyface style in the least. So you have a situation where you have a, a crowd who is not especially attuned 
to WCW wrestling. Yeah. Does not know the reason that these two guys are wrestling. Does not know their personalities. And they come out here, and there's not really a reason for them to cheer one guy over the other. And the way that they wrestle sure. does not... You know, you can wrestle as a heel, you can wrestle as a babyface, so that even if they don't know, they can watch a few minutes and figure it out. Yeah. These guys wrestle for 30 minutes, and I think by the end, the crowd still doesn't know, like, am I happy with what happened? I don't know. Right. I have no idea why these guys are wrestling each other. Yeah. So, I think this match was really, really good in terms of execution and wrestling, um, but I think it, and I think it would get over a lot better in 2018 than in 1996, but I think in 1996, it also would have gotten better in a lot of other venues. Yeah. If this match happens in Chicago or Greensboro or Charlotte, uh, New York, like there's just it, it's not going to work in this context. Yeah, somewhere somewhere where a fan like actually pays to watch. Them, yes. For example. Yes. And it just uh, it would have done a lot better if these guys had said, OK, for this match, I'm going to be the clear baby face just for these next 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And since they didn't do that, they completely lost the crowd uh, in a huge way that I know you'll you'll talk about as we go on here. Yeah. So at this point, and I think we're about halfway through uh, the match, Chris Benoit hits the flying headbutt. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Devastating. Like, mm-hmm. on him, it looks like, Jesus, that had to hurt. Yeah. And... Yeah, so he nails it, and his immediate cover only gets a two count, which probably would have gotten a three in literally any other situation because that's how slow Nick Patrick is. <laughs> He's incredibly slow on yeah. this. But it's also it's 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 realizing, oh, that's right. Like, that's not his finisher. Um, it's his finisher is still the full Nelson uh, German suplex. However, what, Dragon? I don't remember what that one's called. Oh, the full now. Yeah, that's a that's a dragon suplex. Yeah, so that's still his finisher. And I yes, like the flying headbutt's just a flying headbutt, but it's just kind of weird to see that and and not realize like that's a patented move. Mm-hmm. Uh, while Benoit and Woman rightfully argue with Patrick's count, Malenko catches a crippler with a tombstone pile driver, which only gets a two count for all four consecutive nonchalant attempts he goes for. <laughs> yes, in which I say maybe take out one of those and hook a leg instead. <laughs> What are you, Larry Zabisco? <laughs> right, yes. Um, at this point, Bobby wonders if you can give 200% in a match. <laughs> Which, no, you can't. That's not a thing. No. Nope. Um, at the, while he says that, Malenko tries for the Texas Cloverleaf, but Benoit counters with a small package for two. After a handful of forearm shivers, Dean Malenko's cross-body attempt sends both men over the top rope and spilling to the ringside. Which is... When I say ringside, that's like on the platforms. Right. Malenko tosses Benoit back into the ring as fatigue is really starting to set in for both men. Back in the ring, case in point, there's a superplex, but there's not much elevation to it. And again, it's a case in which it looks like Benoit lands on the back of his head, um, which he gives a superplex, but he's probably the worst for wear afterwards. Right. A body slam follow-up only gets a two for Benoit, but when the crippler follows up, uh, tries to follow that up. He gets hit with a nice release German suplex from Olenko. It's one, I swear, Benoit is like floating in air for like three <laughs> seconds before he lands on the ground. There, I know, I remember a scene in the WCW magazine, there was a picture of him in the air, yeah. and it looks awesome. Yes. Every move now is being followed by an immediate pin attempt as both combatants are showing signs of slowing down. So they're like, they're doing a pin attempt to kind of like give them a moment to catch their breath. After Malenko kicks out of a German suplex pen attempt, 
Dave Penzer warns that there's only five minutes remaining in the 20-minute time limit, which tells you exactly where this is headed. They don't tell you the time limit unless they're going to the time limit. Yeah, and the announcers start like immediately being like, oh, these guys could be headed to a draw. And it's like, yeah, of course. Like, <laughs> right. every time the time limit comes into play, it mm. goes to the time limit. Like, we're not stupid. Yeah. I love the bikers. I mean, I'm not saying they're stupid. They're wrestling fans stupid. They probably are not familiar with that convention. You know right. what I mean? So maybe I guess it works in the in this particular yeah. situation. But as, as, a, as a person that watches a lot of wrestling, when you mention the time limit, you're going to the time limit. Yes. Um, Benoit then it gets a severe version of the Boston Crab. It's like the, the original Lion Tamer. Yes. Um, and it looks great. Yeah, it really does. Uh, was it Bobby or, I, Bobby or Dusty, one of them, Starts insisting that instead of calling this the Boston Crab, you should call it the Canadian Crippler Crab. That's what that's what Bobby said. Yes, and he will not shut up about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, the match returns to ringside as only a few minutes remain in the time limit, and Bobby makes his first reference to the Sea of Heads, which is yeah. a phrase we will never hear the end of for the rest <laughs> of the pay-per-view. Back in the ring, Blanco gets a backslide for two, and this, this was a backside you really had to fight to get Benoit over for. Right. Um, at this point, I, met, I made another mention of the fact that, like, I love the physicality of this match because, like, every simple move, the other person's just, like, fighting it. And you can tell that both these guys are, are like, trying to one-up each other as far as just, like, strength and grit is concerned. So, yeah. So, like, everything looks just a little bit more, like, intense, right. basically. Um, and the physicality is really outstanding since it's, like, been a relatively technical bout so it's not been like a brawler but it's just the way that they're executing mm-hmm. is awesome and this <laughs> at this point i wrote see if had see if had see if had see if because <laughs> they're just talking on and on about this fucking phrase yeah they find it tony and dusty find that that bobby called the crowd a sea of heads very amusing yeah which like bobby says a lot of dumb shit tonight like i feel like that makes sense that's not i would not pick on someone for saying that no, I thought it was a good phrase. It just it didn't need to be said so yes, many times. Yes. And finally, I get what I want as there is a power bomb hit by yeah. Benoit, <laughs> but followed up by a nonchalant cover. So he only gets a two count. Now we're told only one minute remains in the time limit as Benoit slams Malenko to set him up for another flying headbutt. However, Malenko catches him, and to me, another sign that he's getting kind of tired he only goes to the second rope to do the superplex. He doesn't go all the way to the top. Now we get a 10-second countdown as Malenko hits his own powerbomb, which he floats over into a pin attempt that's interrupted by the time limit expiring. So I, I like this because, like, and you'll see it later on too, but uh, as soon as the 10-second countdown goes on, Malenko immediately goes to, like, the finish. Like, he immediately hits a powerbomb and sets him up. Like, right. that was the part that they do. That everything else might have been improvised, but that was definitely the the, the time limit finish. Right. Um, after some inaction, Nick Patrick takes it upon himself to add a five-minute overtime period. Yeah, he kind of seems like he kind of just asked the guys, like, I don't know, what do you think? In which he says there must be a winner. And if there must be a winner, why are you setting a time limit? Yes. That was a part that I didn't get. It's like Right. And and also, this does get a small amount of boos from the crowd. Yeah, the crowd booed the draw. So you're you're like, oh, did they not like the draw? But then they they boo a lot more vociferously at the idea of an overtime. So 
the original booing might have just been a reaction to the match, which is insane. Yeah. If you want to sit there on your hands, I disagree with you, but I, I get it. Mm. If you want to actually watch that entire match and then boo, like, fuck off. You're, you're wrong. <laughs> right. I mean, even if you're a casual fan or like you're not really a fan, you don't know the guys. Right. You just witness like 20 minutes of just intense action. Yes. That you should know how to appreciate something like that. And the fact that they're like, no, I don't want to see five more minutes of that shit. It's yeah. just like, come on. Benoit attacks Malenko and hits a side suplex as the bell rings. Uh, Chris Benoit is frustrated by his lack of pinfall success, and he applies a Texas Cloverleaf on Dean Malenko. Uh-oh. Dean Malenko struggles for a bit, and, and then Benoit uh, does. He pulls him into the middle of the ring. And we get another vintage WCW moment as Benoit releases a hold for no apparent reason. <laughs> yep. They're back to their feet, and Benoit tries for what I'm guessing is a dragon screw leg whip, but Malenko hits it in Siguri as we get a gut check moment. Benoit uh, applies a leg lock as we reach one minute remaining in overtime. Now, if it sounds like there was only a few moves, that's because they're they're moving pretty slowly right and some of these holds like the cloverleaf he was in it for a while too. yes so yep. there was not a lot of moves going on for this five minute overtime benoit tries for a body slam but malenko reverses it with a small package that is also interrupted by the bell and that was an, it was another situation when they did the countdown malenko immediately goes to this finish so it's like uh these finishes they look like finishes yeah um and so that's interrupted by the bell. And so the five-minute overtime ends. This time, Nick Patrick, in like 0.3 seconds, decides to initiate a second five-minute overtime, in which he again says there must be a winner, which again I ask, why <laughs> give it these five-minute time limits? The crowd and the, hates this. Yeah, and I yeah wrote the crowd is angry. If they did not like the idea of one overtime, they are apoplectic about <laughs> the idea of another one. Right. They are just pissed. Yes. Bobby, God bless him, he's drunk, but he knows that he should try to be like, come up with a reason why the crowd is pissed that isn't insulting towards the product. So he tries to claim that the crowd feels like Benoit should be the winner. Right. (laughs) But like, there's no reason that Benoit would have won. Like, it's just been back and forth. There's no winner. I don't, like, what reason would the crowd have to be like, uh, that guy won. (laughs) If you were going to say someone should have won, you would say that Dean Malenko, in theory, could have won because his counts were always broken up. Right. It's way closer <laughs> to Dean Malenko than Benoit. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, I I did see that he was, like, trying to say, like, they're not booing the match. They're booing because they want Benoit to win. Yeah, I feel like a sober Bobby could have come up with something that would have made a little more sense there. Like saying how Benoit won by points or something yeah, like that. I don't, yeah, something. So the second overtime starts... And Dean Malenko is going off his playbook with an eye poke. But Benoit's not interested in selling the eye poke and hits a big back body drop. Bobby, right as like we kind of start the second overtime, he's still trying to explain his theory about how the crowd is mad because Benoit should have won. And he just kind of rambles drunkenly. And then that thing where like you realize that you're rambling, so he ends with, you know what I mean. And Tony goes, no, we don't. And we haven't all night. <laughs> I think he's shooting. I think that is <laughs> right. a completely <laughs> <Yes>. legitimate comment. <laughs> Blanco hits a beautiful dragon screw leg whip in which. Yes. Uh, oh, and they're also Benoit hit this like great uh, tilt-a-whirl backbreaker 
Um, so they they were that, starting. Uh, I believe Dusty calls a whirly burly backbreaker. <laughs> sure, <laughs> but you can tell they're kind of getting a, a second wind. Yeah. Malenko tries for a short arm clothesline, but Benoit ducks and hits a full Nelson suplex for two. The dragon full Nelson suplex, whatever. A whip off the ropes, but Malenko holds on, causing Benoit's dropkick to hit nothing but air. Now we get the Texas Cloverleaf by Dean Malenko right in the middle of the ring. Benoit pulls himself towards the ropes, and Malenko, thank you, does not just release the hole, right. but converts it into an STF, which I thought was brilliant because it gives him a clear view of woman who is trying to reach to Benoit. This gives Malenko at least some reason to release a hold. Right. Because woman is, I mean, when woman tries to interfere, she's like half of her body's already in the ring. Right. So he grabs woman by the arm and it, they, he kind of drags her to the corner in some attempt to admonish or something like that. But Benoit capitalizes and schoolboys Malenko. He does hold the rope, but again, the camera misses it. Yeah. And we get the pinfall victory in a match that is just over 28 minutes. Now, I will say the crowd, the one thing they love is Dean Malenko going after woman. Yes. They're like, finally, she's, for one thing, misogyny. But for another thing, woman has just spent a half an hour screaming at the top of her lungs. Yeah. Like, feet away from them she gets annoying like just to watch a, a match where she's in the background screaming the whole time uh-huh. i can't imagine a half an hour of her right in front of you screaming every time benoit gets punched or you know it just yeah so i do kind of like on the one hand i'm like oh, they really want malenko to hit that woman but on the other hand i'm like well i want her to stop t- i mean i don't want her to get hit don't get me wrong but i'm just like I understand that they're like, I want some comeuppance for this annoying person in front of me. Right. Yeah. Um, and I can imagine because I was, I was thinking that like with the, the kind of the vaulted or elevated ring, yeah. if you're on the side that woman is on the side of that, she's probably blocking a lot of what you're seeing. Of the right. Too. Right. So you're maybe you're just like, just get her out of the way so I can see what's going on. So they went nearly 30 minutes and then don't give us a clean finish to the match. What what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I it's it's disappointing, obviously. I mean, that was the point in which it was like, "Oh, so Malenko was the face?" Right, yeah. I mean, by the finish you can you can see he's supposed to be the face, but it just never really played out that way. Right. Um, so you were saying before you started the match that you had previously considered it one of the best or or the best wrestled match in WCW history. Do you still feel that way after kind of this go through? Well, so I, what I did is I went back and I mean, I, I admit I'll, I'm kind of a mark for like the Dave Meltzer star rating. Sure. And so I was looking up and trying to see like what the highest rated for one thing, besides a couple of war games, there aren't any five star matches. Right. For WCW. Right. Um, this, this one got four and a quarter. That sounds right. I have them all at the end of my notes. We'll talk about them at the end of the show. But mm-hmm. off the top of my head, that sounds right. Yeah. So I, I, I felt that going into it, I felt justified in in thinking how right. I thought about this match. And I still, I think this is one of the best wrestled matches for, especially given the situation of having to play off of this really dumb overtime stuff. Right. I, I mean, I think this would have been like a phenomenal match if they just straight up wrestled for the 25 minutes instead of putting in like this, like stoppage and all that. 
in which it's it it, do, it doesn't really serve any purpose to the match. Right. Um. But no, I mean, I've to me, it's such a great display of both the Malenko and Benoit, and both how I feel like their personalities are as far as like being kind of like these curmudgeon professionals that are that are all about like the execution of the match mm-hmm. and and how it's like they just they refuse to let the other man look better they, right, they right. wanted to they you could tell these guys were trying to impress each other yeah. in this match and that's what a, it's like a, a story that just that 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 naturally grew from these two guys just facing each other for the first time and I I love it. I still love this match. It's it's a great match. It absolutely is. And and I know that the the fortunate thing is that the matches that were higher rated are in our future to see. Yeah. And so I'm looking forward to some of these other. I mean, like specifically, there's the Rey Mysterio Eddie Guerrero match. That's a great match. That, obviously, that's 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 from Halloween Havoc '97. Yep. I feel like that that's the match where I'm like that could maybe be better. So I look forward to seeing how that one stands up too. But to me, this match really stood up very well. It's an awful finish, um, but to me, it doesn't hurt it too much, especially since like Benoit is supposed to kind of, I like the idea that like these guys are so evenly matched and one had to, to take a cheap victory out of it. Right. It would be even better if they end up having a feud, but I feel like this might be the end of it. I don't, I don't remember how this. Yeah. We'll have to find out. Well, what were your thoughts on the match? I thought it was a great match. I think um, that it's maybe this isn't fair. I could see an argument where people would think that this is unfair, but I don't think when you're rating a match, or at least when I'm rating a match, I shouldn't speak for anyone else. When I'm rating a match, mm-hmm. I think it's impossible to take the match away from the crowd, if that makes any sense. Like the crowd and their reaction to the match is a factor that goes into the rating. Sure. So you can't, you like, I could not rate this whatever the. 10 stars or five, you know, whatever scale you're using mm-hmm. because it just didn't get the cr- The crowd is a part of it. And a hot crowd would have made this, you know, would have really elevated it. Uh, the ending also knocks it down a little bit. Yeah. So this would never be like a perfect match in my opinion. Not that such a thing exists, but a top rated match, mm-hmm. but it's very, very close. It's certainly one that I would recommend. Uh, if you're someone that's listening to this and you're not, you just like listening to podcasts and you're not actually going to sit down and watch hog wild. If you just want to watch one match and take a half hour of your time, watch this match. It's very good. Yeah. It's the best match on the show. I liked Ray and Ultimate Guerrero. Ultimate. <laughs> uh, and Ultimate Dragon, but this is a better match than that match, hands mm. down. And I and I think it's a really good it's a good match for if you have not seen Benoit or seen Malenko, you get like the full gamut of what both men are capable of in one match. Uh, and especially since like I know a lot of people talk about Malenko being like the best WCW wrestler. Sure. Um, so I, yeah, I just you should watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Tony says that Malenko did not hold up his end of the bargain. Uh, so seeing as Malenko already had his rematch and the fact that he didn't do what Jimmy Hart had demanded, I definitely bet that we won't be seeing him get any cruiserweight title shot soon. Certainly not five days after this pay per view. <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> To be continued. <laughs> After this match, I finally caught on to a bit that Bobby had been doing for a while that I, I just didn't get. Uh, and that's when they would when they cut to like shots of downtown Sturgis. They do frequently and they do right here. They'll play the sound of a bike revving as like a transition sound effect. Mm. And every time Bobby goes, was that you, Tony? 
and I finally get that he's saying Tony farted. Yeah. It took yeah. me a while. <laughs> he also, after one time, asked Tony to stand up, I guess suggesting that Tony has shit his pants. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was, I don't know, it was after one of the, the time limits expired and and woman got onto the, the apron. Right. I think to dispute something or another, and that's when Bobby Heenan shouted, "Look at those gams!" <laughs> and I was like, yeah. "I was like, that's the really wasted quote right there." <laughs> and what she was just like is just shouting over everyone. Out next come the Steiner brothers to a good reaction, uh, and even some barks. So I guess there are some people in the crowd who mm. are little familiar with wrestling on some level. Maybe they know these guys from the WWF run, or who knows? But there's a there's a couple Steiner fans in the crowd. I, and also, they were quick to get to this next match, too. Yes. So. I, I almost wonder if there was something that was edited out of the network version, perhaps, because that happens sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Bash at the Beach, there was Kimberly selling the Bash at the Beach uh, towel. That oh, was not sure. a network version that I found in another version. So I almost wondered about that, but I did not care enough to go re- <laughs> research. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tony mentions that the Steiners were two members of the motorcade that rode their Harleys from Minneapolis to Sturgis. Out next comes the WCW Tag Team Champions, Harlem Heat, along with their managers, Colonel Robert Parker and Sister Sherry. Dusty calls Sherry a devilish woman, of course, because we got to hear that. Like, it's not just enough that we hear it every time woman and Liz are out. Now there's another devilish woman. Devilish woman. And says that Parker is a smooth-talking melon farmer from Tennessee. That sounds like an insult. Tony says that (laughs) I think it's meant to be. (laughs) You melon farmer. You know, he would be the last man I would want to have to play a card game against or have to gamble against. And he'd be the first man I'd want to have to take care of my career. Why is that, Bob? Because the man is a... Tony says that Colonel Parker is the last man he'd want to play in a game of cards. Bobby manages to slur, he'd be the first man I'd want to have take care of my career. <laughs> and at this point, Dusty is clearly just egging him on, goes... Why is that, Bob? (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know that I've ever heard him call him Bob before, so that, like, really made it funny. And Bobby just kind of stumbles out that Parker is a really good promoter. He's really moving on to a new stage of, like, he's moved on from, like, kind of bad at commentary to an active hindrance on the program (laughs) that he's commentating on. Oh, man. No, no. Elaborate, if you will. <laughs> now, this crowd, who has not had much heat for any of the heels so far, uh, which, in, remember, the crowd includes a guy in an SS t-shirt and another guy with an iron cross on his bike. Mm-hmm. Now, they have a real problem with Booker and Stevie for some reason. Wow. They must be just really effective heel <laughs> characters. Uh, I can't put my finger on it as Harlem Heat poses in the ring and the camera actually cuts to the shot of the guy with the Iron Cross, Mm -hmm. which if you don't know out there, that's a military decoration of Prussia and the German Empire, but much more popularly was known as a symbol of the Nazis. Uh, But I'm sure that's just a coincidence that's not at all important. (laughs) I guess this particular biker is just a big history buff who likes studying the Franco-Prussian War. (laughs) Uh, and I can't imagine any connection to that attitude and the guys in the crowd who are shouting at Harlem Heat and motioning at them to come out in the crowd and fight. Like, there's a bunch of... There's, there's like, 20 dudes who are like, hey, come fight all, like, 5,000 of us, which, why would anyone do that? It's like... Uh, and th- there's different cuts of different 
sides of the ring. Right. And there's other people doing the same thing. It's yeah, not just like a group of friends. Yeah. Every single one of these bikers is like, we want to fight those two guys. Yeah. And uncomfortably, I don't think he's not doing it on purpose. I don't think he realizes exactly what's going on in the crowd. But this is the moment that Dusty chooses to call them Freedom Riders and in a quote, this American group. Ooh. Yeah. So it's just like a bad coincidence. It's just like oh, awkward. <laughs> the crowd starts revving their engines and honking, encouraged by the Steiners who call for more noise and the Heat who act like they are so mad because of it. Oh, these guys are revving their engines. I'm furious. <laughs> Stevie's like pantomiming, covering his ears. So that, I mean, these guys rev their engines the entire match. Yeah, to Harlem Heat's credit, they are, they're taking it as like, oh, they're booing us because we're heels. Right. And they're playing it up. Uh, somewhere in here is, this is probably as good a time, I've got a clip from Stevie Ray's podcast where he sort of talks about their experience coming out to the ring here. Michael, I will tell you how the crowd treated us. They tried to get me. <laughs> they tried to get on Ray Dog, bro. You know, that's how they treated us. You know, you know why? You know how me and my brother felt that day. We felt like we was in Charlottesville. That's how we felt. That's how we felt, like we was in Charlottesville. You got, I don't know how many thousands of motorcycle people gathered around the ring. The ring was in the middle, and just because. We beat the Steiners by throwing some powder in their faces and beat them with the one, two, three. They're going to get mad at us because I called a few guys toothless and I talked about their old ladies and I talked about all the beer they were drinking and how sad they looked. That's not my fault. That's what they looked like. So, tell you what, the Steiner brothers that night were like, well, that day, hey, man, don't go out there and talk about the crowd, man. The hell's angels are out there, man. The Hells Angels are bad, man. Man, I don't care nothing about no Hells Angels. If they're out there, they're going to get it too. So that's what happened. Then we were one. You know what? They want to throw beer bottles at us. They want to throw rocks at us. They try to injure us, try to maim us. Hey, baby, you know how Harlem Heat do it. You didn't scare nobody. That's what happened. I found a Booker one too, but Booker's like, yeah, they didn't like like Booker. I don't. He just doesn't want to get into it. I get the feeling he's just like, yeah, they booed us, haha. But Stevie's like, yeah, these racist ass bikers, like, <laughs> right. fuck them. Yeah, that that's all. Uh, he is the most surprising guy as far as like really interesting uh, interview. These Steiner brothers are really one tough human beings, says Bobby Heenan. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you something, these Steiner brothers are really, really one tough human being. I like what you're saying. You make him sound like he's about to fall asleep. Well. Well, I'll show ye. So here to call all of our race-charged action <laughs> is our own Dave Amantor. <laughs> oh, for, um, after mentioning the reaction, the next note I had is, God, those tag titles look like garbage. Yeah, I don't like those belts. And not, I mean, I think they were like a, a decent design, but their condition is like they are deteriorating every single time we see them. Sure. Um, so we start off, of course, Harlem Heat and the Steiner brothers know to start off with Booker T versus Scott Steiner. Right. I don't know if they've ever had a tag match of which they have not started off with those two. 
the mat it, it takes a while because the the crowd is revving their engines and to Hamid's credit they're soaking in all this attention and they are treating it like it's just regular heel heat. Right. Everything's cool. <laughs> it's just we're having a match. So uh, Booker, Booker T is like halfway out of the ring just to shout at people at ringside. So Scott Steiner attacks him and he quickly hits him with a du- double underhook powerbomb. And the Steiners quickly send the champs out of the ring. Scott Steiner quickly attacks and hits Booker T with a double underhook powerbomb. And the Steiners quickly send the champs out of the ring. Which, by the way, it's ringside and they're not down on the ground. Right. So they got the nice distance between them and the very nice and generous bikers. Back in the ring, Scott hits a press slam and a 10 punch in the corner on Booker T gets the loudest chant along with yes. the Yes. The champs powder again to ringside as Rick Steiner threatens to kick Sister Sherry in the face. Uh-oh, I write, because Stevie Ray was just tagged in. He's quick to slam Scott and deliver some of the worst kicks in professional wrestling. Scott breaks up Stevie Ray's momentum with a belly-to-belly suplex before tagging in Rick. So it's not getting better. Lots of punches from Rick, broken up momentarily by a headlock. A whip into the opposite corner is countered by a big Stevie Ray boot. Rick hits a clothesline and tags Scott back in. Stevie Ray plays it smart and gets Booker T back in. Scott then hits a thunderous belly-to-belly suplex for two. And he tags Rick back in. And he hits a suplex for two. At this point, you very audibly hear Rick shout, Shut up, bitch, to Sherry. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) Which Sherry is also, she's borderline along with woman is like being really loud during this sure. match. And after I feel like you're saying like, eh, in fairness, she's being a bitch. <laughs> I was trying to find a nice way to say it. I also like, I don't know what she was saying beforehand, but her, uh, what she's saying that they should do to Rick, gets a lot more violent. From oh, that sure. Point forward. Sure. She starts screaming to break his neck from oh, this point sure. on. <laughs> As far as I know, maybe she says that all the time. I right. don't know. But I like to think that she amped it up after he said that. So Stevie Ray is back in, and some Harlem Heat teamwork finally grounds Rick. Booker T is tagged in and continues the assault. However, his attempt to leapfrog Rick fails as he slammed the mat for a two count. Rick tags in Scott, who dropkicks Booker T and applies an STF. Scott tags back in Rick, who is whipped into the ropes and dumped onto the floor, courtesy of a Stevie Ray low bridge. If it weren't for the crowd's racist enthusiasm, this would easily be one of the most forgettable <laughs> tag matches on Nitro. I think this match is actually pretty decent. Well, it it feels very standard sure. because I've we've seen these two teams face each other. That's a lot. true. It's not it's not a fresh matchup, right? Uh, Stevie Ray beats down Rick at ringside while Booker T distracts Randy Anderson. Back in the ring, however, Booker T misses a Harlem sidekick and crotches himself on the top ropes. He tags in Stevie Ray, I think, at this point. I mean, Stevie Ray comes in. (laughs) And I wrote, whatever, I'm not going to go back because this match sucks. (laughs) Uh, Then Stevie Ray gets a chin lock on Rick Steiner. Well, you're not going to make Scott Steiner give up on this hole. Nor Rick Steiner. Yeah, so Stevie Ray's got a chin lock on Rick Steiner, and Brain goes, you're not going to make Scott Steiner give up with this move. And Tony instantly goes, or Rick Steiner. <laughs> just he says it 
instantly. It's yeah. maybe the quickest wit that Tony Schiavone <laughs> has ever demonstrated. I, li- it, I like it sounds like he's just trying to be helpful. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, we get a tag into Booker T, who continues the chinlock-themed assault. He then does a spin rooney which isn't named that yet, and then he hits the Harlem sidekick. Yeah, uh, at which point he also points at Scott Steiner like to taunt him, and Scott just flips him off. <laughs> like, for just a brief second, because I think he's like, oh, I'm not sure if we can do that or not. <laughs> he's like, oh, whoops. Yeah, it gets it gets an approving cheer from the crowd that notices it, though. <laughs> uh, so Booker T tags in Stevie Ray, who musters up a couple of slams before tagging right back out again. <laughs> then we get the uh, Scott Steiner hot tag, and quickly all four men are brawling. It's the classic... Rick Steiner needs to tag him in. Right. And as soon as Scott Steiner's in, Rick Steiner's, like, recovered. <laughs> yes. And so we got Donnybrook. And with Donnybrook comes shenanigans. Colonel Robert Park. Now, these shenanigans are all sorts of fucked up. Colonel Robert Parker throws powder in Booker T's face by accident. But then immediately, Sherry throws some into Scott Steiner's face. Yep. Which, to me... Seems like someone fucked up. Or yeah. Why would they have a double powder? I don't deal? know. Um, Parker follows it up by hitting Scott with his cane as hard as he humanly can. Yeah. Because it breaks on his back. But since it's like Scott Steiner and his huge back, he just sells it like someone punched him. Basically. Right. Um, but he falls to the mat, enabling Booker T to get the pinfall victory as Harlem Heat retained their titles. So it was a pretty standard match for those for those two tag teams, but the ending was just a disaster, which has kind of been a theme so far for tonight. Yeah, towards the end, I also want to point out that Dusty calls that uh, says that this match was for the world's heavyweight wrestling tag team title, <laughs> which is not a thing. It, it wasn't plural, it was title. Yeah, well, it might have been title. I'm not sure about that. That might have just but been But that might be the least of his concern. Trash flies at the heat as they beat a hasty exit. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Steiner lays on the mat powder all over his face, and we see replays, which unfortunately it's always Bobby's job to cover. Check this. Harlem Heat in command. Sherry. She got something bad to Scott Steiner. Right in the face. Yeah, more than that, Brain. Look here. Oh! Waffles from behind. Broke it up with here. Doesn't matter. It's Scott Steiner. It doesn't matter. It's Scott Steiner. You can beat him all you want. One, two, three. Check this. Harlem Heat in command. <laughs> Sherry does something bad to Scott Steiner in the face. What? That's what he says. No way. He says Sherry does something bad to Scott Steiner <laughs> in the face. Oh, and then at that point, Dusty and Tony just jump in and like try to help him through the rest of the replays. But he goes, oh, and then <laughs> after the cane breaks over his head, Bobby goes, it doesn't matter. It's Scott Steiner. You could beat him all you want. One, two, three. <laughs> what, is, what does that mean? <laughs> I can't figure out if he's saying like he doesn't care or Scott Steiner doesn't care. It's so strange. <laughs> He has a okay. Who cares? Wrestling, whatever. Tony tries to follow up, like with "What do you mean by that?" But Bobby's incoherent response is so crazy that Tony just gives up and moves on. <laughs> oh, 
See, I thought I was really paying attention <laughs> to hearing how drunk yeah. he was, but it, it sounds like I missed a gem there. <laughs> we get a video package put together by friend of the show, Neil Pruitt. I just wanted to have a chance <laughs> to call him friend of the show. Neil Pruitt. We see a uh, host of Neil Pruitt's Secrets of WCW Nitro. Uh, we see various wrestlers like the Steiners, Medusa, DDP, Kimberly, Bubba, Mongo, Deborah, Paul Orndorff, and Sting, and I'm sure I'm missing some, ride their Harleys from the Mall of America in Blooming, Minnesota, out to Sturgis, South Dakota, about an eight-and-a-half-hour drive down I-90. Of course, they also have one particularly galling hero shot of Eric Bischoff riding his Harley with his hair in the wind. Yes. The entire pay-per-view seems to exist for that shot. Yep, you got it. Oh, and speaking of Bischoff, remember how the last Nitro we watched, he was missing and possibly kidnapped by the NWO? It doesn't come up once on this pay-per-view. <laughs> and I forgot. Yeah, maybe it comes up on Saturday night. Like I said, I didn't watch the whole thing, but it is, seems like it's just been completely dropped. <laughs> uh, there's some quotes from wrestlers during this package that unfortunately you can't hear at all when you watch it. I think because the network has dubbed over a different song from what the original probably had. Oh, okay. So you can tell that wrestlers are talking, but you cannot understand what they're saying. The footage is what you'd expect. Guys on Harley smiling, riding, uh, just kind of general Sturgis B-roll. There's a shot of Medusa on her Harley at the Mall of America with a cute little old lady sitting with her. Uh, I actually tweeted Medusa earlier today to ask who the old lady was, and she replied that it was her 95-year-old grandmother who rode her own Harley to the Mall of America in order to see Medusa off. Uh, which was kind of a cute story. I liked nice. g getting that detail right from the source. <laughs> at one point, Mongo is showing. Uh, at one point, Mongo is showing off Pepe, who is wearing tough biker outfits, and he has a cute, tiny little switchblade. Yes, <laughs> it's amazing. I love the attention to detail that he bought Pepe a biker outfit and found a tiny toy switchblade for him. <laughs> right. uh, you can check that out on my Twitter. I tweeted a picture of that. We must be running short on time, though, because in the middle of the Sturgis footage, which the company has actually promoted as a part of this pay-per-view, yeah. that we're going to get all this backstage Sturgis stuff, they just cut it off and go back to the ring where Eddie Guerrero's music is already playing. Uh, Eddie comes out and slaps hands, and it's time for his match for the U.S. title against Ric Flair. Flair is out next with Woman and Liz, the devilish women. Bobby says to check out their gams, but Dusty thinks he said hams, which gets a legit laugh from Tony Schiavone. Check the gams. Yeah, we, check we, the, 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 game, the legs. Legs. I thought he said the hams. <laughs> gams. Okay. Okay, enough. Why would he think he's... Well, I mean... I suppose they, they think anything's going to be coming out of his mouth at this point. Yeah, but. well, then they say uh, somebody's like, legs, Dusty, legs. And they're like, gams, legs. And he goes... Well, the ham's part of the leg. <laughs> Flair says that the women like to ride a Harley, but the Harley is basically him. He's pointing at himself, <laughs> and he's 1,200 cc's. <laughs> I love how Flair's <laughs> metaphors are always just, he. it's his dick. Yeah. Space Mountain is a, is a ride, but it's also my dick. A Harley's a motorcycle, but also it's my dick. <laughs> just everything to Flair is, is his dick. Also, I just wanted to make the general point of like, even though this is at Sturgis and it's questionable how many of these people are wrestling fans. Yeah. Ric Flair's still over. Yes. <laughs> but you're not going to beat Ric Flair. Eddie Guerrero's not in the same. I disagree with you. I think that's your uh, Ric Flair because Ric Flair is mentally sharper than Eddie Guerrero. Bobby says. Ric Flair is mentally sharper than 
Eddie Guerrero. <laughs> and there's Is he powering down? <laughs> there's a long pause after he says this, and then either Dusty or Tony barely keeps a laugh in. You hear that thing where like somebody's pursing their lips shut, but a little air escapes like <laughs> Yeah. Like you can yeah. actually hear one of them do that yeah. after that. <laughs> Uh, they say, somebody says, I think it's Tony, says that this might be the most important match uh, for young Eddie Guerrero. And that might be, I mean, it might be debatable, but that might be true, at least in terms of America. Uh, I know he's like, oh, on, yeah. um, you know, he's here with Flair. He's he's wrestled Flair before, but this time it's for a title. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I would think that this is the biggest match of Eddie Guerrero, certainly his WCW career. I, I mean, I feel like that's what they're saying. It's like, because yeah. nothing matters outside WCW. Right. They start with some pissed off shoving from Eddie in response to Ric Flair's taunts. Then they lock up, which leads to a shoulder block from Eddie and a few more shoves, including a couple from Randy Eller to Flair. And then Eddie exchanges slaps with Flair until Flair bumps and rolls to the outside. Flair takes a very long time to regroup on the outside. When he's back in, they eventually lock up, which leads to Flair dropping Eddie onto his shoulder with what appeared to be a side suplex attempt but Eddie kind of tried to twist out of it. I don't know if he was trying to reverse it or he thought it was a different move. So it ends up looking awful, and Eddie rolls to the outside to regroup. Eddie starts selling like he hurt his knee on the move, but I don't think he really did. I think that's just what he's choosing to sell. Mm-hmm. Whereas Flair is clutching his wrist, and I do think that Eddie landed on his wrist pretty hard. I, <laughs> I think that's I don't think that's selling. I think that's holy shit, my wrist got fucked up. An Eddie Guerrero chant starts up, which it always manages to at Disney at Sturgis they're like I'm always shocked that people will chant for Eddie uh because it seems like he just started with the company when Nitro started I'm just I'm always pleasantly surprised at how over the guys managed to get with the crowd it's a good thing that they're, they're that's going to pay dividends for WCW later <laughs> on <laughs> when Eddie gets back in they exchange shops in a corner Flair is knocked to the ground and begs off before escaping for more stalling outside Another lockup, and Eddie goes for a tornado DDT, but Flair doesn't quite go with it, and Eddie sort of flops off the top rope, but impressively, he manages to roll this over into a side headlock down on the mat. Flair rolls that into a brief pin attempt for two. Flair throws Eddie down by the hair, but Eddie kips up, and they have a chop battle as the sun sets. Eddie starts selling the effects of Flair's strikes, wobbly on his feet and unable to stand, but he fires up for a flurry of strikes of his own, including 10 punches in the corner and some big chops. Flair does his classic corner spot, going up and over, and a Guerrero dropkick lands him on the apron. Flair gets back into the ring, and Eddie gives him a back body drop and clotheslines him back out of the ring. Flair comes in and gets... Flair comes in and does his classic delayed Flair flop after some chops from Eddie, but he gets back up and thumbs the eye and kicks Eddie in the dick. <laughs> we get a high cross from Eddie for a two count. He then goes to the top for a flying sunset flip, but Flair manages to stay on his feet. Guerrero follows a drop toe hold with a figure four, but Flair eventually manages to make the ropes to break the hold. A nice springboard Hurricanrana from Eddie gets a two count, as does a tornado DDT. Flair begs for mercy and Eddie struts in response. Flair takes over when Eddie charges into the corner and misses. But Flair's idea to head to the top rope was shockingly not a good one. What? And Eddie throws him down for a two. Bobby keeps being wrong on pinfalls. He's doing the Vince McMahon one, two, he got him, oh, he didn't. Yeah. Like, he's. that's how bad his commentary has gone, that he's doing that annoying thing that everyone hates that Vince McMahon does. (laughs) 
So Tony says that Bobby just can't get a win like Jim Abbott, which uh, dated reference now. But Jim Abbott, of course, the famous one-handed major league pitcher. Uh, I remember him as as the one-handed pitcher. I, he had a no-hitter. Uh, he had 18 wins one season for the Angels. He spent a few years in New York with the Yankees. I did not remember that in 1996 he went 2-18 and 18 with like a 7 ERA. Yikes. Uh, normally a guy doesn't even like get allowed to start enough games to go 2-18. and 18. <laughs> So uh, he actually sat out all of the 97 season because uh, that 96 was so bad. Then he came back for like two more average seasons before retiring. Eddie goes for another sunset flip, but Flair again stays on his feet, so Eddie pulls his trunks down, exposing his ass to the crowd. Flair manages to stagger around to most of the ring to make sure that everybody sees his ass. It's very prolonged. (laughs) Eddie goes for a frog splash, but when he lands, he nails his own knee on the landing, so he can't follow with a pin. I like it. He's dominated enough where he hits his finishing move, and he should by rights have Flair beat but unfortunately, he's hurt something that he hurt earlier in the match, so he can't get that final pinfall. That's a, a decent story to kind of protect Eddie and try to get him some out of this because he's going to lose. As Flair smells blood in the water and soon locks on the figure four. After a minute or so, Eddie passes out and his shoulders are flat in the mat. So Randy Eller counts the one, two, three, uh, pretty much the exact ending that they did when these two had a match on Nitro months ago, mm-hmm. uh, more than months ago. I mean, that was that was pretty early on in the show's run. Um, and honestly, the kind of thinking back, we loved that match. I didn't think this match lived up to maybe what I was expecting from it. It was good, but this was this was like a an average Nitro match that I would expect for these two, not a pay per view title match. What did you think? Yeah, I I seem to I thought. I remembered it being better than what it was. Yeah. It, I mean, it's still, it's it's an all right match, but considering the two guys and, and how they're both capable of bringing up their game for a, a match like this, right. you would expect a whole lot more. They were just like, there were a few moments where it's just like, the, they just were not in sync with each other. Um, especially, yeah. especially Guerrero just seemed to kind of not be, not directly hit a lot of his moves. Mm-hmm. And I thought the finish was weird because Guerrero was kind of holding his hands over his face like he was still trying to withstand the pain, but then mm. just let himself get pinned. It was kind of like his yeah. his his demeanor was was kind of it was kind of weird for when he got the pinfall. Yeah, I don't know if these two have any more matches down the line, um, but certainly if if there's just two Guerrero flare matches, the one to watch is certainly that first one from Nitro. Yes. Um, But like I said, there may be more down the line. And if there are, I'm looking forward to them because we've certainly seen that they can be great. This this one just didn't have it. Bobby doesn't even bother trying to narrate the replays now, and (laughs) Dusty and Tony just do it for him. (laughs) Then it's off to Mean Gene Okerlund. I thank you very much. Look at that sight. Also, the sun about to set over the Black Hills here to the west of us at WCW's Hogwild and the 56th anniversary of this gigantic rally. With me right now, the WCW Heavyweight Champion of the World. In this beautiful setting, I'm talking about the Giant along with manager Jimmy Hart. A little bit later on tonight, a title defense. We talk about the sunset, but some say the sun may be setting on World Championship Wrestling because of the new world order, Jimmy. Hogan, tonight's a giant step for you. Don't trip and fall because nobody's going to be there to pick you up. Giant, we talked about this earlier on the live show on TBS. You're going to be facing Hulk Hogan. Here's a man that you idolize. What is going through your mind 
as we speak at this hour. What's going through my mind right now is a long history of betrayal. When I was a kid, I was by far the biggest Hulk Hogan fan in the world. And I saw your true colors way before the rest of the world did. When you came out on Nitro and you told the kids and the fans of the world to stick it, you reminded me of the pain you caused me. Well, believe me, Hogan, tonight in Sturgis, I'm going to be the one to stick it. I'm going to stick my hand right around your neck. I'm going to squeeze it till your eyes pop. And I'm going to drive your neck right through the ring. Hogan, ashes to ashes and dust to dust. Tonight, I lay the holster to rest. Oh! Well, that is setting the scene for the big head-on collision. As you know, the NWO, the New World Order, is very prominent here tonight. We're going to be seeing the Outsiders in a moment as they face Lex and Sting at the big title defense for the Giant as he defends against Hulk Hogan. It is a very special evening, a very special event, one of the greatest I could ever recall in World Championship Wrestling history. With that... Let's get you back to the ring. Gene is joined by the Giant and Jimmy Hart. Hart warns Hogan not to trip. It's like a really <laughs> lame one-line promo. Like, don't trip and fall, Hogan. Okay. Like, like he kind of had like a brain freeze. Of yeah. Like, Wait, what am I supposed <laughs> to tell him not to do? <laughs> Giant says that he feels betrayed by Hogan and promises that, uh, just because Hogan's a, a heel now, he mm. sort of says that he saw it before everyone else, so he knew Hogan was a dick, but... Uh, that he still he still feels betrayed. He promises that tonight he's going to stick his hands around Hogan's throat and drive him right through the ring. Tonight, he will lay the Hulkster to rest. Then the NWO music hits and out come the Outsiders in their red and black cool-ass gear. Yep. Their swagger and charisma is so immediately recognizable. Yeah. Like, they come out and you're just like, God, even, like, the shit I know about these guys now that makes them kind of lame in a lot of ways, or just human, not even lame, but yeah. they still, they come out in 1996, and you're just like, these fuckers are so cool. And, and plus, like, they, the two play off each other yes, so well. Yes, Because even even though Scott Hall's a big guy, yeah. he's not the big guy. Right. So he can kind of be like, yeah, I can say what I want because I got the big man right. with me. And then Nash just kind of, like, you know, just kind of stares you down like he, he's the hired muscle. They both, like... Like the two roles they should be playing, they play them perfectly with each other. Like as much as much as it seems like kind of a waste to get these two and just have them be a tag team right. rather than big single stars, they're a great tag team. Sting and Luger are out next to Sting's music. They get the golden shower spark thing. Golden showers. Yeah, everybody knows what that is <laughs> uh, in wrestling terms. They also get fireworks, a lot of fireworks. Fireworks shooting from the entrance rig, from the lighting rig near the ring. Fireworks aplenty. It's like, we got the fireworks set up, but we can only do it once. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. All right. Well, uh, the only other thing I want to note before we get underway, and Dave is going to call this match, is, uh, were you going to mention rock, paper, scissors? Should I say that for you? Was that in your list? No, it wasn't. Okay, good. Well. Uh, before the match starts, one thing that I love that Nash and Hall do is to determine which one of them is going to start the match. They play rock, paper, scissors. Mm -hmm. And first they both throw scissors, and then they look annoyed, and then they go again. And this time, uh, I think Nash wins. No, Hall oh, wins. Hall yeah, Hall, Hall throws. Hall had scissors. And Nash threw paper. Mm -hmm. And so Nash steps to the outside. And that's just, 
just that nonchalance of like this is supposed to be this huge match mm-hmm. it's been you know built up and we're the outsiders and we're this huge threat and we're just goofing off because we're so fucking cool yeah <laughs> it's awesome it's so great and, and also uh Scott hall make sure he cut the paper yes just he, in case <laughs> nash didn't understand what happened <laughs> <laughs> all right well here to call all the action for this one is our own dave amantorp all right so finally after all these weeks we're gonna find out who the cooler tag team is <laughs> well i know the answer to that question already <laughs> also and and if you follow me on twitter you saw i put a picture of this up uh sting is wearing a headband for some sort of reason yeah sting looks really weird is color choices i i don't know sting's not working for me tonight yeah <laughs> just is from i don't know if it was what week it was and which like sting and luger were trying to be really cool was that a couple weeks ago? Yes. Yep. But I feel like Sting's still trying to do that. And for some reason, he thinks a headband's going to be, it, that's the cool factor. Right. <laughs> so the match starts off after the p- rock, paper, scissors with Scott Hall and Lex Luger. And Hall immediately tosses the toothpick at the Stinger. You didn't see that coming, Ooh. did you? Yeah. Um, and Hall starts off with some really impressive chain wrestling from an arm bar to a hammer lock culminating in um, doing like a fireman's carry in which he like flips Luger over his head. Um, at this point, I noted that the helicopter overhead is really loud and distracting. Yeah, yes. And for some reason, it seems like it, it became louder as the, as the night went on. I don't know why. Um, after he flipped him over his head, Hall flexes at Luger and then goes to Nash to discuss some game plan, which I'm sure they're not talking about game plan against Lex Luger. Whatever they decide did not work as Lex Luger hip tosses and body slams Hall before flexing against outsiders, <laughs> which they make fun of him for flexing all the time. Don't do the flexing. They think it's dumb. <laughs> and uh, another cool moment is when Kevin Nash comes in. He stares down Luger, but then very casually does like the move to the side button. Yes. Because I yeah. want to face Sting. You're, you're, I'm the big guy for my team. I don't want to waste my time with you, Luger. I want yeah. Sting. We don't want wrestler B. We want wrestler A. And Sting's wrestler A. You want to know what my favorite part of the match is? <laughs> What's that? It's when Bo- it's when Bobby Heenan okay. says, you can't look at this as a tag match. Nobody cares who wins and who loses. <laughs> and Dusty Rhodes just kind of quietly in the background goes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> you know something, Tony? You can't look at this as a tag match. Because nobody really cares who wins or loses. I There's do. a franchise thing here going. Yes. I mean. <laughs> oh, bless his heart. He's tried. I don't know why you can't look at it as a tag <laughs> match. That makes no sense. And it definitely matters. Like, why would you say it doesn't matter? That's the last thing you want to say. So, like I said, Nash was indicating he wants to face Sting. And there's not an immediate tag. So Nash spits at Sting. And, and Sting, like, has the perfect expression of, like, I'm trying not to rage out here, but that was insulting. Yes. And so he gets tagged in, and then he spits at Nash. And I'm like, that's gross. Yeah. <laughs> Stop it. I don't like that. They still do that in Japan sometimes. And I just fucking, it's gross. It's don't gross. spit on dudes. <laughs> don't do it. Uh, Sammy Callahan does that, too, I think. And he, uh, in general, is gross. 
Like, he, like, blows, like, boogers. He just seems like a gross... And I don't think it's just a wrestling gimmick. I think he's, like, just a gross dude. Yeah, I remember I saw him for the first time a f- couple months ago, and I was like, he's kind of gross looking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so Nash counters the spit with a forearm smash, but this only angers the stinger, who unloads with kicks and punches and more kicks before poking Nash in the eye. I've always liked the eye poke being thrown in at random. Yeah. It just because you like you're getting wailed on. You just don't expect like an eye poke in there. I've never seen a guy get disqualified for an eye poke. So just do it all the time. Who cares? (laughs) Fuck. Why not? (laughs) Um, Then there's a then he body slams Nash, which is weird because like Nash goes into like this really kind of stiff. Like he's like perfectly straight. Right. Body slam. It just looks weird. Yeah. Um, Followed by cheap shot on the Scott Hall. But this uh, gives Nash an opening to, I refer to it as hitting snake eyes on Sting when he drops on the Oh, board. sure, yep. I don't know if they call it that yet, but for the sake of description, it's snake eyes. Right. Um, Sting staggers around, and so Scott Hall follows up with a clothesline from the ring apron. Scott Hall tags in, and he punches away at Sting. Um, so quick tagging in and out at this point as we settle into the traditional Sting taking the brunt of the abuse portion of the match. Yes. It- so... This is a part where I'm like, I'm not going to keep describing what's going yeah, on. Yeah, it drags a bit for sure. And and I made a note here that, man, no one can slow match the fuck down quite like Kevin Nash. Because he hits like a move, then he plays with his hair, stares at the crowd, wanders around. He just is so slow when he is on the offense. Mm-hmm. Hall is adding insult to injury, kicking Sting lightly in the head as he beats him down. And now Nash is back in the ring. And then Sting finally starts a rally, dropping the big man to his knees with kicks and chops. Uh, Nash quickly turns the tie back in his favor, and a mid-ring collision leads to the classic Sting stumbles and falls headfirst into the opponent's dick spot. Hall is in as Heenan has now decided to tease being a supporter of the Outsiders. I wrote possibly out of boredom, but I don't think it's <laughs> boredom that's influencing him. Well, he, he so he says something like, Again, sort of like he doesn't care uh, if they win. And then, like, Dusty and Tony seize on it. I don't think he really meant it. But then he's like, oh, uh, yeah. And so then he, like, kind of takes the posture like that is what he meant. I think he was just sort of talking out his ass and then got called on it and had to, like, scramble some improv. Mm -hmm. So we return to Hall and Nash, and they're double teaming on Sting. as Nash calls for Scott Hall to hit was referred to as the outsider's edge yes um however sting counters with a backdrop and gets a hot tag to luger and which clotheslines clotheslines for <laughs> everyone <laughs> and just like in the other tag match immediately sting is back and recovered and all four yep. men are brawling um and then we get uh boy you want to talk about a fuck up of an ending year first first oh it's, oh i'm sorry yeah, yeah. it was for some reason i was behind the Yes. So all four men are brawling. Sting and Nash go to the outside, and Nash puts Sting in the Scorpion Deathlock, which I think mostly because the regular commentator is is probably passed out by now. They just don't seize on the fact that he has a Scorpion Deathlock right. at ringside, while Luger is going for the torture rack. So what... And I'm going to try to describe what I think happens here. So Luger is going for the torture rack, I believe that Scott Hall was supposed to kind of like brush up against Nick Patrick, but it doesn't seem like he hits it. 
And then Nick Patrick stumbles and yeah. doesn't quite hit Luger. Right. So he gets up again, holds his eye or something like that. Yeah. And then very blatantly clips Luger's knee. Right. And then Scott Hall lands on top of him. And fucking Nick Patrick, why did they give him the job of trying to do fast counts? <laughs> He's supposed to do a fast count here, but it's a regular three count. Yeah. Yeah, what's supposed to happen is as Lex is getting Hall up in the torture rack, Hall is supposed to kick Patrick in the leg. Patrick will then fall and clip Luger in the knee, and then he will count, and it was supposed to, like you said, it, it was supposed to be up to interpretation whether it was fast or not. They're not turning Patrick heel. They're merely planting the suggestion, like, was that on purpose? What's going on? Right. So, but what happened was, A, the first botch is Hall doesn't really hit Patrick, at least not very much. Mm-hmm. So Patrick sells and looks like an idiot because he's selling nothing really. Yeah. Then he drops down and hits Luger in the knee like he's supposed to, but Luger just fails to notice that he did it. So Luger doesn't go down. So Patrick has now stood up and is recovered because he was supposed to be selling that he got hit in the head, mm-hmm. but he's now standing back up. So he can't really sell that it's still the effects of getting hit in the head. Yeah. So now it just looks like he punches Lex in the knee just because. Yeah, like uh, his second attempt, he like aims up like a heat-seeking missile and throws an elbow into his knee. It's the most blatant clipping of a knee you could possibly ask for. Yeah, the only way that you that you know that it's not that he's supposed to have done it completely on purpose is that the announcers don't describe it that way. Yeah. It's one of those things where you're like, okay, I have to just go with what they're telling me is supposed to be happening mm-hmm. rather than what clearly is happening in front of my own eyes. Right. So, yeah, what actually happened, it just, it's ridiculous. Because Luger didn't go down the first time, Patrick has to, like, just be like, oh, well, now I'm perfectly healthy and I'm just falling into your leg arm first for no reason whatsoever right it's absurdly bad yeah it's terrible yeah and there's the I- there, there's the idea that there was a fast count too i believe tony brings up if it, he's like w- was that a fast count or not but it was like uh nick patrick did a very regular three count yeah. when he was supposed to do a fast count something to keep in mind farther down the <laughs> road as far as like we, we've now established that Nick Patrick can't do a fast count. Should we try to have him do it again later on? Probably not, but we'll see. I get what you're saying. I'm not 100% sure it was supposed to be a fast count. I think Tony might have just been throwing shit at the wall at this point. I, I, I mean, yeah, in his defense, like it was such a mess. He probably is like, what do I say? Right. <laughs> I Something has to be questionable, but like I can't question if he did it on purpose or not with a clipping because I would sound like an idiot if I questioned that. Now, now they've just seen a referee basically attack a guy and then maybe fast count, according to Tony Schiavone. Right. They speculate about that for all of 15 seconds before they're just like, well, that's done. Time for our main event. Like, there's no weight given to those events whatsoever because they are just, I think they're running short or something. They are just trying to move on to the the next match. It, It seems like the outsiders would have benefited a lot more from just, like, beating these guys. Yeah. You know, and yeah. it's not it's not with it's not outside the realm of reality that the outsiders could beat Sting and Luger. I agree. I think it's probably tough to convince Sting and Luger to do that job, but it shouldn't be completely impossible. And I'm surprised that they didn't manage to do. I mean, these guys are new. It's definitely definitely the outsiders need to win this match. I don't think that's 
even can't be questioned. Right. Um, but yeah, why they could just be put over clean is, is stupid. I thought the match was fine other than the shitty ending. Yeah. It wasn't amazing, but it wasn't bad. Mm. Uh, Meltzer, and we'll talk about it later, really shits on it. He gives it like one star. I think it might be the lowest rated match on the card. Yikes. It's like, fuck off with that. Like, <laughs> I don't know where he's coming. It was a bad ending. It got fucked up, mm. but so was uh, the Medusa match, and he gave that like a better score. You know what I mean? So And so was the end of Benoit Malenko, and he gave that four and a quarter. Well, that was a shitty ending. It wasn't a fucked up ending. Like, they did what they meant to. I guess it's not in, It's not their fault if the if the camera doesn't catch it. That's right. Not, that's not a fuck up. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to WCW Hot Wild here in the very heart of America. The land of Crazy Horse, Mount Rushmore, and the Badlands, and of course, the home to the 56th Annual Assembly of the World's Greatest Bikers, Sturgis, South Dakota! Tonight, we will see no event that has ever been performed in the history of the WCW like the one you're about to see. An outside organization, the New World Order, will attempt to steal the title of the World Heavyweight Champion. In this, the battle for the WCW Heavyweight Championship of the World. Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready? Bikers of the world, are you For the thousands in attendance here at ringside and the millions watching around the world on television, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! so much has been written and talked about in this matchup. The man that went ahead and, you know, just betrayed everything he stood for, Hulk Hogan, now will be the man that's, that carries the standard bearer for WCW, the World Heavyweight Champion, the Giant. We it, don't, it don't get any Ladies better. and gentlemen, coming to the ring first, wearing black instead of his customary and traditional yellow and red. He stands six feet six inches tall and weighs 274 and three quarter pounds. He comes to us from Venice Beach, California, and for years he has been recognized as one of the most popular and charismatic figures in professional wrestling. But now he's turned his back on it all. Turned his back on the WCW. He now represents and is the standard bearer of the new world order of professional wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, introducing the challenger and former heavyweight champion of the world, Mr. Hollywood Hulk Hogan. 
I never thought in all my years of doing the sport, watching the sport, and I would see a Hulk Hogan entrance quite like that. Well, I tell you what, it kind of turned my stomach just a little bit. I got a knot in my gut about this situation going on here. Fireworks are going off at home. Wow. You know, it never bothered me. I always knew the guy was a scum. I always knew he would turn his back on everyone. And Brain, I hate to say it, for probably the first time tonight, you're right. Oh, of course I'm right. And look at this, 300,000 bikers in Sturgis. All over the world now, watching this. coming to the ring, in the company of his manager, the legendary mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, we have the most imposing physical specimen in the history of all sports. Seven feet, four inches tall, 481 pounds. He comes to us from parts unknown, and this member of the Dungeon of Doom is without a doubt considered by many to be the most dangerous man on the planet Earth. Ladies and gentlemen, presenting the WCW Heavyweight Champion of the World, Jim! Ladies and gentlemen, you are going to see a battle, and I really try not to overstate this. I'm after another brief shot of the main drag in downtown Sturgis, we head to the main event with Michael Buffer, the only man in Sturgis wearing a tuxedo, perhaps ever doing his ring introductions. <laughs> I think it's pretty hilarious that this dude needs to read even basic information right from his cards, like the name of the event that he's at. He Like Buffer is doing his ring introductions and he'll be like, we're here at, checks notes, Hog Wild. It's like, dude, how much are they paying you? And you can't remember, like, just where you are? Well, I, I do feel like that's just kind of been his thing, though. Maybe he's, yeah. maybe he's just like, I just feel better if I have it written down. That guy is just a look and a voice, and, like, I feel like he's, I, I feel like Buffer sucks. He's got a good voice, but he seems like a real dum-dum. Yeah. I don't even think, and I might be wrong. If I'm wrong about this, then, then I apologize, but... I believe I've read that Bruce Buffer was the one who actually wrote the introductions. Michael just read them. But I might be wrong about that. I'll have to try to see if I can find that somewhere. <laughs> Maybe that's just what Bruce says. <laughs> Buffer talks about the various landmarks of South Dakota, of course including calling the crowd the greatest bikers in the world. They pop huge for this, and I swear that he smirks for a second, <laughs> seemingly at how easy it is to get people to they're, pop for that kind of palm shit. Palm of my hand. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Dance monkeys. <laughs> Quote Buffer, tonight we will see no event that has ever been performed in the history of WCW like the one you're about to see. Well, that doesn't mean anything. That's not a sentence. Did he just write that before he got it? He's like, hey, here's what you should say. <laughs> I guess I guess I was wrong and he should just stick to the cards. <laughs> uh, pal, just stick to the cards, okay? He says that the NWO is attempting to steal the heavyweight championship, which is kind of unfair because Hogan challenged the giant and the giant accepted. They're not it's, trying to steal it. They're trying to beat the champion a, for it, the title. It's a sanctioned match. <laughs> it's for the title. Yeah, that's just how <laughs> wrestling works. The NWO theme plays and out comes Hogan. He's in all black, which I know is the NWO color scheme. Uh, black and white, rather. But he basically looks like a biker, and this collection of mostly non-fans probably has no idea that he's a heel, despite the fact that Buffer has tried to give a little bit of exposition in his intro. I, I feel like that's a big story with this match, is that the fans, 
a hundred percent are treating him like a face. I agree, and I'll talk about that a lot as we kind of walk through it. Outside of the Bash at the Beach main event, in which Hogan was technically a participant as the third man, this is Hogan's first match in four months since the April 15th Nitro when he defeated Arn Anderson and Kevin Sullivan in a handicap match. It's his first singles match since a DQ lost to Arn Anderson on the February 2nd Nitro, <laughs> and his first title match since January 1st when he beat then-champion Ric Flair on Nitro, but did not get the title as the ending was a disqualification. He was last champion at Halloween Havoc of 1995, losing the belt to the Giant under dubious circumstances when Jimmy Hart betrayed him. Here again he faces the Giant, and once again Hart is at ringside, although obviously much has changed. <laughs> Fireworks shoot off as the Dungeon of Doom music plays. The heavyweight champion of the world, the Giant, comes out with the aforementioned Hart. The crowd starts a loud Hogan chant as Hollywood Hulk stalls outside. Hogan's stalling and seeming fear of the Giant is good, I think that he's, well, clearly, I don't think, it's just he is trying to get the crowd to turn against him mm -hmm. by stalling a lot and acting like a coward, mm -hmm. uh, but it's just not working, and I think that part of the problem is that due to the, the size of the giant, it makes Hogan look like an o overmatched uh, underdog. Yeah. Like, there's no way against the giant, basically anyone looks like the underdog, so as much as they're trying to get over the story to the crowd, like, hey, he's the bad guy. They just look and they're like, no, look at that guy in the ring. Like, he's going <laughs> to kick his ass. <laughs> yeah, and I don't, I know that like, we're not quite to the point in which he's just referred to as Hollywood Hogan. But I I think, like, didn't Michael Buffer call him, like, the man from Hollywood Hulk I think he, Hogan? I think he said Hollywood Hulk Hogan. I might be wrong, but that's... I don't. It's funny I, because I played the audio clip, and so the audience, our, our listeners, know <laughs> what he actually said. But we don't. Yeah, that's a weird situation. <laughs> Uh, Jimmy Hart is also doing no favors as he's in the ring taunting Hulk over the megaphone and a pipsqueak manager doing the trash talking behind his giant client yeah. is not a real babyface move. <laughs> right. Hogan does his best to play it up, though, including walking back down the aisle after the bell is rung. It takes Randy Anderson starting to count him out that gets him to finally turn around. The crowd still chants for Hogan, though, but you can tell from the voices that there are a lot of kids doing the chanting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I guess they just haven't they haven't got the message. These are not the diehards, you know. Hogan finally gets in the ring and ducks a double sledge from Giant and lays in some punches. Then he bails outside again. Hogan, for the first time of many, tells the crowd to shut up. That's like his one big heel move is telling the people to shut up. Yeah. Hogan gets into the ring and the two men lock up. Hogan gets on a side headlock as Bobby, in full drunk reminiscing uncle mode, says... I managed Andre the Giant against Hulk in front of 93,000 people. And Hogan knew what he had to do, and so did Andre. <laughs> it's like, yeah, all that's true, but what are you? why are you talking about it? We all knew. <laughs> we all knew what was going on. That Vince McMahon's so smart. <laughs> it, it sounds like he's, like, comparing... Being in front of 93,000 people with two guys know what they're doing to sitting at this biker rally watching these guys wrestle in front of 5,000, you know, clueless fans. Hogan is sent into the ropes and collides into a giant shoulder tackle, sending him once again to the outside. He again goes for heat, telling the crowd to shut up once more. Back in the ring, the two men circle each other and lock up once more, and again Hogan gets on a side headlock. 
Giant gets Hogan up for what certainly looks like it's going to be an atomic drop, but instead he just keeps going backwards for a scary-looking back suplex. Hogan grabs his head and heads back to the outside. (laughs) I think he's trying to get heat, trying to pad out the match length knowing how green the Giant is, and trying to avoid taking too many more moves like that questionable back suplex. (laughs) Hogan gets back in the ring and challenges Giant to come over to him, ducking between the ropes when the Giant does so. Giant grabs him anyway, but Randy Anderson pushes Giant back, and Hogan complains the Giant had pulled his hair. Giant challenges Hogan to a test of strength, and Hogan keeps backing off, which earns him a Hogan chant. <laughs> the crowd loves his cowardice. <laughs> There's one thing we appreciate. <laughs> it's a coward. <laughs> Finally, they lock knuckles, and the Giant dominates the test of strength. Hogan cheap shots the Giant with a series of kicks to the gut, and the crowd loves this. <laughs> giant is on his knees with Hogan keeping the pressure on. Hart implores Giant to get back up. Eventually, Giant works his way back to his feet and dominates Hogan until Hulk breaks the hold. The Giant keeps control of one arm in what's basically a Kimura, like one of the earliest times I can remember seeing that in a match. Hogan throws Giant to the mat to an impressive pop of kids' voices. With the Giant grounded, Hogan slaps on a very loose arm hold on the Giant. (laughs) As in, literally, he's just kind of holding his arm. There's no pressure applied to anything. (laughs) Somewhere, Jim Duggan's taking notes. (laughs) (laughs) He keeps wrist control and starts kneeing the giant in the back. Hogan continues working the arm for a bit, including a leg drop onto the giant's shoulder. Then he places a knee in the back of the seated giant and pulls both of the big man's arms back. Bikers rev their engines in support of the dastardly heel. (laughs) Shut up! (laughs) Dusty calls them a great crowd and a bunch of WCW fans. (laughs) Giant... (laughs) Come on, Dusty. Giant manages to stand up, despite Hogan keeping another loose-ass arm hold on, but Hogan pulls Giant by the hair back down to the mat. Bobby chimes in quietly, As much as I hate Hogan, he's a hell of a wrestler. (laughs) Now you know he's (laughs) wasted. (laughs) One of the chief ways that you can tell how drunk Bobby is at this point is the several minutes between comments. (laughs) But he still thinks... You should should say something. You should say something. Again, Giant powers his way to his feet, and this time it's he who throws Hogan down. Hogan gets back up, and Giant lays in several big headbutts that cause Hogan to, Jesus Christ, go to the outside again. (laughs) More Hogan chants as he pulls Giant out with him. Hogan gets in some punches and runs the Giant head into the ring post, and then rakes the back a few times. Now, this is particularly awesome as Hogan is wearing leather gloves, so the back rake is an exceptionally silly move. (laughs) Like, it's already silly, but you're like, okay, I guess the fingernails would make that hurt. With leather gloves on, there's nothing. It's just a guy running his fingers down your back. Yeah, yeah, and and the giant sells it like death upon (laughs) himself. It's fire on his back. (laughs) Right. Hogan tries ramming the giant into the post again, but the giant blocks it and grabs Hulk and rams him shoulder first into the steel. Back in the ring, Giant whips Hogan into the corner, then kicks him in the gut, whips him into a different corner, and kicks him in the gut, followed by a backbreaker. He goes for the pin, but Hogan gets a foot on the ropes. Hogan stumbles to his feet, and Giant picks him up for a scoop slam, and he's starting to look real stupid, in my opinion, by not going for a choke slam. Like, he's got Hogan dazed a number of times and doesn't hit his huge end-match, like, squash move. Oh, sure. And I know that the reason is because he can't hit it because they, they're protecting that move, 
So if Giant's not going to win, he can't hit the choke slam. Mm-hmm. But have him at least go for it, and Hogan escapes or whatever, you know, yeah, kicks him in the dick, low blow, whatever, to get out of it. But they just Giant just doesn't even go for it. And it looks stupid. Instead, Giant follows the scoop slam with an attempted an elbow drop that Hogan dodges. Hogan punches the dazed Giant, but Giant starts no selling and gianting up or whatever. When it comes time, the usual Hogan comeback series for the big point at your opponent, you know, Giant does the, like, you point thing. Yeah. Randy Anderson also points at Hogan. <laughs> uh, I tweeted a picture of that. I find it just delightful. It's bizarre. Giant blocks a Hogan punch and hits a couple chops. He whips Hogan into the ropes and connects with the big boot. He doesn't go for a leg drop, though, instead finally signaling for the choke slam. The camera pulls out a bit, a sure sign that doings are about to transpire. (laughs) And sure enough, Scott Hall enters frame and starts climbing the ring steps. He climbs up to the top rope, but the giant tosses him to the mat. And of course, if logic were any part of this, this would be a disqualification. Like if this were a real sport, there's now another man in the ring. Right. Uh, But instead, technically Hall has not done any offense onto the giant. So Randy Anderson is going to allow this. (laughs) Hall eats a choke slam, but Kevin Nash is now on the apron, and he is pilfered Jimmy Hart's megaphone. As Pee Wee Anderson tries to clear the unconscious Hall from the ring, Nash makes his move, but the Giant sees him coming and boots him to the ground. Nash then gets choke slammed. Giant, of course, fails to notice that Hogan has snuck into the ring behind him. Giant turns around and Hogan waffles him in the face with the title belt. Randy Anderson, of course, decides this is the perfect time to look up from Hall, and he sees Hulk pinning Nash and, of course, counts the one, two, three. Hulk Hogan is your new world heavyweight champion. The NWO possess the biggest prize that WCW has to offer. Hogan celebrates with his title and hugs his buddies. No, 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 shouts Heenan. Tony, where are we at right now? And he's either speculating that WCW no longer exists as they've lost their championship, or he's literally forgot where he is. It's kind of a toss-up at this point. (laughs) Bikers rev their Harleys, and a few throw water bottles and other debris into the ring, though it's maybe like 150th of the amount that they threw at Bash of the Beach. Yeah. Suddenly, we see the entrance uh, trail, and two guys are carrying a big birthday cake for Hogan, who turns 43 the day after this event. (laughs) It's... I, I texted my brother because yeah. I was like, oh, I forgot this part <laughs> happens. And really, everyone yeah. should forget this happens. We heard it was Hogan's birthday. And there's, there's a birthday cake cake coming out. And who is that behind the birthday cake? We told Can we see that again? This thing has taken an this, unbelievable trip. This is right absolutely here. sick. A birthday cake for Hulk Hogan. Well, I'm going to tell you what. I'm a little concerned about the giant who's still laying out. What a blow you took to the head right there. He is still down. And the New World Order, they have the microphone. Oh, yo, yo. The NWO is the way to go.
Giants. Yo, Outsiders, the booty man knows it's Hulk Hogan's birthday, brother. Yeah. And you know what? Now I'm gonna wish a happy birthday to me, brother. Yo, booty man, what a surprise. Hey, also, I just wanna say, first of all, congratulations on being the new NWO he is World Heavyweight Champion! He is the WCW Heavyweight Champion. Very simply put, that is a falsehood right there. In just a second, it's my pleasure to wish you, brother, a happy birthday in front of all these people at Starkin. Well, where's the members of the Dungeon Doom when you need them? Yeah. And last but not least, I just want to put my hand out and thank you for being there for me for 22 years, man. Congratulations, champ. Well, we have a you know something, booty man? I love you, man, like you're my own blood. You know something, man? For 20 years, brother, you and I have been hanging together. And to have you here with an NWO shirt on is something special. But you know something, brothers? Now that I'm the champion in Denver, Colorado, Ric Flair is gonna get the beating of his life. But you know something? There's something we all gotta learn here, man. The reason the NWO is so powerful, the reason we're gonna make Ted Turner look like a second-class citizen, we're gonna wipe out the WCW, is that we never mix business with friendship or pleasure. And you know something, Ric Flair, we attacked the WCW for a reason, not because Arn Anderson was there. And so you showed your down card, brother. You got a soft spot, dude, for Arn Anderson. Well, this is my best friend here. And the one thing he's been driving me crazy about is the NWO, man. And now that we've got the mission accomplished, we want to tell you one thing, brother. They do not have We never, ever, Mixed business with friendship, but this is a special occasion, man. And we got a surprise for you. You know what, brother? We got a surprise. Hold on. What in the world is going on? Get him, boys. Let's get Can him. Can you believe this? Oh, unbelievable. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. That's the true colors right there. This is what the NWO is all about. Backstabbing, lying. Hold him up, brother. Hold him up. Making examples of people. Let me tell you something, Ric Flair. That is business, brother. And that was my best friend. If I'll do that to my best friend, what am I gonna do to you in Denver, Colorado? The NWO rules, brother. Hulk Hogan is a very dangerous, sick oh, individual. Oh, you're better on that. He's a very dangerous individual. What is, what, what's this? What do they have? Oh, that's spray paint. Oh, my God. They're going to spray paint. I cannot believe this. This is unbelievable. Somebody, somebody needs to go in This is turning my there stomach right now. They are spray The cake has a big gold star on it, and it says, Happy birthday, Hulk Hogan. You're the star. <laughs> the star is you. 
<laughs> Walking behind the cake in a Terminator t-shirt with NWO painted on it is Ed Leslie, the erstwhile booty man. Booty man, as he is still referred to here, sticks a small wrapped present directly into the cake, which is a gross and rude thing to do. <laughs> then I, he, I feel like he hasn't been invited to many <laughs> birthdays. <laughs> the presents don't go in the cake. He then takes it from the handlers and slides it into the ring as Hogan gets a mic from somewhere and starts to cut a promo. Yo, 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 the NWO is the way to go, rhymes the cat in the fucking hat. <laughs> what a... As cool as Hall and Nash are, like, they're barely enough to counteract how uncool Hulk Hogan is. <laughs> right. <laughs> Hogan says the booty man knows it's his birthday, and then he wishes himself a happy birthday. <laughs> Well, that's an awesome heel move, actually. Wishing yourself a happy birthday. Right. Booty Man congratulates Hogan on being the new NWO World Heavyweight Champion. That's a falsehood right there. Injustice! Screams Dusty. <laughs> Booty wishes Hulk a happy birthday, and the crowd cheers and actually starts singing happy birthday. Hulk tells Booty he loves him like his own blood and then kisses him on both cheeks. Hogan says that now that he's champion, he's going to give Ric Flair the beating of his life in Denver, Colorado. Now, he's referring to Clash of the Champions that's taking place on TBS this fucking Thursday, five days after the event. But he doesn't specify what day that is, what time it is, what channel it's on. <laughs> Why it is. And the fact that WCW hasn't mentioned that clash on any Nitro or at any point on this pay-per-view mm -hmm. is insane to me. Yes. I know that they're like... They probably wanted to make sure that they were promoting Hog Wild and they didn't want to split audience attention too much. Mm -hmm. And maybe they were worried that they were going to detract pay-per-view buys if they were like, also, we have this free two-hour sort of pay-per-view. But to not mention it at all, at least tonight, people have paid their money now. Yeah. They've given you their whatever, twenty five ninety nine. Tell them about your goddamn show on Thursday. Uh-huh. Don't worry. I'm sure on Nitro they'll bring it up plenty of times. <laughs> Hogan goes on to say that the NWO doesn't mix business with friendship. He says Ric Flair showed that he has a weakness, that being his friendship with Arn Anderson. Hogan points to Booty and says that Booty is his best friend. What's amazing about this is how clueless Ed Leslie is as to where this is going. Right. Yeah, because it's like... <laughs> He's just smiling this whole time. Yeah, it's fairly obvious <laughs> where this is going. Ed's like, yeah, we're best friends. <laughs> He says Booty has been driving him nuts trying to get into the NWO, and again says they don't mix business with friendship, but tonight is special, and they have a surprise for Ed Leslie. He whispers in the ear of Nash, who promptly gets Booty in a full Nelson. Get him, boys, orders Hogan, and Hall starts laying punches on the Booty Man. By the way, Giant is still laying there in the middle of the ring, completely unconscious from a belt shot that was now over five minutes ago. Yikes. Hogan now starts punching and kicking Booty Man before laying him out with the belt. Hogan tells Flair, if that's what I'll do to my best friend, imagine what I'm going to do to you. Nash hands Hogan the present Booty brought, and then Hogan unwraps it. It's a can of black spray paint. Hogan uses it to spray paint NWO onto the belt to the disgust of Tony Schiavone. The NWO celebrate with their new title, while the giant lays there for... Uh, by the end of when this is all done, about 10 minutes total. I know he looked like Hogan's equal during the match, and he laid out Hall and Nash, but having him lay this long kills his mystique in a big way. Yeah. 
he the giant ice train came out of this event looking the worst i would say <laughs> as hulk screams into the camera that armageddon has come upon wcw tony says that he doesn't know what comes next and it's a scary time for anyone who works for wcw we get one last shot from the helicopter as tony says that we've seen a lot of bizarre sights and people in sturgis we cut to the announcers who talk a bit about the disrespect shown to the belt then the credits roll over footage of a motorcycle wheel driving down the road. And that's our show. Dave, what did you make of the main event? I felt like it was more like they just had to go through that in order to get the belt on Hogan. Right. It was like the match itself is utterly forgettable. It's um, so goddamn long. Yeah. Uh, and like you said, they had to get the title on Hogan and they want to protect the giant a little bit so you can't squash him you can't have him lose the title in under five minutes but he can't do anything so it's just stalling 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 yeah and they should have found a way to get the giant out of the ring right just make him disappear like who cares if fans see him walking away like as long as he's not on camera and because there was like there was a few minutes there where I didn't even realize he was in the ring. Right. And I was like, holy shit, the giant's still there. Yeah. yeah that, <laughs> I don't uh, he should have to protect him, I think he should have woken up at some point and tried to get at them and maybe the WCW security like backs him off. Or maybe like for his own sake, you have a bunch of biker plants that like get in the way and pull him to the back or something. I don't know something there's got to be something you could have come up with other than he just lays there like a fucking chump well i i mean i i feel like in a better case scenario would have been they should have had someone besides the giant as champion going into that match sure i mean i think like he probably would have had a better match with sting yeah and i think sting would have been more of a symbolic like sure defeat for wcw yeah. and ju yeah just been a better match but I don't know, or or some and so, and have someone that's a face, that that's been treated as a right, face that would right. be known as a face right. to face Hogan. So, um, no, no, it just it, it seems like once they got the NWO going, um, they're like, oh yeah, the Giants champion now, isn't he? Like they didn't have a plan for who would be champion once Hogan goes for the belt. What do you think of the fact that the last five matches or over half of the pay per view card ended with screwy finishes? Yeah, and most of the screwy finishes like were screwed up too. Right. So I just I can't believe that they like okay, you've got five screwy finishes and whatever it is, four regular clean finishes. Mm -hmm. Maybe intersperse them a little bit. Don't just do four clean finishes and then five screwy finishes. Right. It seems like they could have broken that up. Uh, it just it's a very weird layout for me and I just really question some of the booking. Um, like you said, it feels like Hall and Nash should have gone over clean because I think they need to win, and I think Hogan needs to win. This is a new group; they're the hottest thing going. Let them win. Uh, get the get the tag titles on the Outsiders immediately, as far as I'm concerned, um, and let them run with it for a little bit. And then, of course, uh, of course, you would then have WCW come back and make a big show of defeating the NWO. Right now, we'll see, of course, how that plays out, but. Uh, you know, so it's a, a few of the right decisions were made. It was just the way they went about it. That was kind of weak. Yeah. I, I mean, it's all like hindsight and everything like that, but sure. The fact I feel like the NWO looked really weak coming out of this cause their, sure. vic their victories were weak. And, and I mean, there's 
I, I think you want to emphasize that because they're only three guys. Right. But they should be able to run like rampant, at least at the beginning. So at least one of those wins should have been clean. I, I think it would have been more effective if Hogan just like eventually came back and just like pinned him in the middle of the ring. And it's like, oh my goodness, our top guy. Right. Like he just laid him out. Like who do we have to defeat these people? But it they made them look so weak in their victories. Yeah, um, yeah I just... I, I feel like a lot of the right results happen, right. but the execution was terrible. Now, I will say that, at the very least, right now, the NWO looks somewhat strong because WCW doesn't have a single victory they can point to, either an official like uh, result victory or even a moral victory yeah. of like a beatdown or, or anything. Mm-hmm. They have nothing on the NWO. It has been nothing thus far but embarrassed, like uh, thumbs in the eye, and losses for WCW. Mm-hmm. So the big question going forward is, what is it going to be like with an NWO uh, member as champion, and how can WCW possibly regroup? Uh, because right now they just have absolutely no answers for Hulk and the Outsiders. And I, I don't really remember how it goes, but, um, I mean, is Hogan actually going to be around on Nitro? Right. That's a great – I mean, we know – yeah, I don't know about Nitro. We know that he's got the match against Flair. Uh, we've – sort of heard at least from reading Meltzer we know that he's being promoted for a title defense against Randy Savage um, at Halloween Havoc but what's going to happen with Fall Brawl we don't actually know yeah uh, so that's definitely something that we're going to find out I mean if he yeah, I mean he's wrestling on that Thursday show and he was on this show I would assume he's on Nitro I would think so but I mean it's in Cody Wyoming that's where most of these guys are staying yeah in the hotel so it'd be it's it's it'd be, be very odd if he wasn't on the show right uh that's what we thought of the show but let's quickly check over with uh old dave Meltzer in the wrestling observer for a little segment we call observe this observe this brother this is what we call a rag, a sheep. rag sheep here is a quote from Dave Meltzer. This is something interesting about the show. Uh, just over one hour before the WCW Hogwild pay-per-view was scheduled to begin, a major blackout occurred, which encompassed parts of nine states, most heavily in California. Many people who did have power were unable to order or receive the pay-per-view as well because computers at many cable companies had no power to process the orders. Power returned at various times, but again, if the computers weren't working, Orders for the replay shows couldn't be processed. Yikes. So it's possible that this show could have been more popular if it weren't for the West Coast dealing with some major power outage issues. And I'm sure that Eric Bischoff capitalized on that factoid. (laughs) Dave is down on the show in general, saying that it was mediocre despite a strong lineup. Now, I could hear the defense uh, that people would say that Dave just hates WCW, and in all honesty, he does not have much love for the promotion. But he has praised the last two WCW pay-per-views, saying that the Great American Bash was quite possibly the best in-ring American pay-per-view in history, and that Bash at the Beach was perhaps the best American pay-per-view in terms of angles. Mm-hmm. So he is not like refusing to credit WCW when they pull off something good. He praises the first half of the show, but says that the booking and announcing was atrocious, especially Heenan, who he politely says, quote, 
appeared to be out to lunch for most of the show. Out to lunch. That's all he really says about it. He, I guess he doesn't want to get sued for libel by speculating. Right. No, uh, that's understandable. <laughs> <laughs> but he's right, though. I mean, like, the, fir- the first half and the second half are, like, two different shows, it feels like. Dave also reports that the 123 Kid was scheduled to debut on the card, but WWF is dragging their feet on signing his official release paperwork basically just to fuck with WCW. Yeah. Uh, and it works. They're successfully <laughs> fucking with them. So let's go through right now. Uh, this is just, I think this is a good way to kind of wrap up our thoughts on the in-ring portion of the show. Uh, so I'm going to read the Melter rating and you just kind of say fair or unfair. Okay. We don't need to get like granular, give your own rating or anything, but just, yeah, does this sound in the ballpark to you? Mm-hmm. Mysterio versus Ultimo Dragon, 3.75. Fair. Norton versus Ice Train, one. Fair. <laughs> Too high, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, Mysterio versus Dragon, by the way, I, I didn't say. I believe that's accurate. Three and, a, three and three quarters is fine with me. Yeah. Norton versus Train, I would, if negative stars are a thing, and they are for Dave Meltzer, mm-hmm. I would put this squarely in the negative. Yeah. Medusa versus Bull Nakano, 1.5. Um, unf- I would say a little bit higher than that. Unfair. I'd say unfair except for the ending getting fucked up, so I'm going to bump it to fair. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, Benoit versus Malenko, four and a quarter. Yeah, I would say that's fair. Fair. Heat versus Steiners, two and three quarters. Fair. A little a little low for me. I'd, I'd put it just a, a smidge higher than that. Flair versus Guerrero, 3.5. Considering the wrestlers, I would say it should be lower. I agree. Ex- exactly what I would say. Considering those two, that's like a star above what I would give that match. Yeah. Nash and Hall versus Sting and Luz- Luger. This is a match that he is surprisingly very down on. He gives this 1.5, tying it with uh, Medusa versus Bull Nakano and putting it just ahead of Norton and Ice Train. Yeah. So I, I obviously I think that's unfair. Yeah. I think that's at least a like two and a half star match. It's just fine. It's fine. Yeah. The ending got fucked up, but it's fine. Yeah, and, and to me, fine would be two and a half. Hogan versus Giant, 1.5. Fair. Completely agree. Yeah. One, yeah. I, if he said one, I'd be like, okay. <laughs> well, you know what that sound means. It's the technical problems horn. <laughs> and uh, the reason I'm dropping in there is that the last few minutes, uh, there wasn't much, but the last few minutes of our show Seems to have been not recorded or somehow I lost it during the editing process. I'm not really sure, um, but I can tell you I can kind of summarize it. And we're very deep in this episode already. We're a little over three hours. So I'll just share with you uh, kind of we shared our overall thoughts of the show. um, Just the idea being at Sturgis with the idea that it was kind of cool to see something very different. This outside show, all these bikers, um, but that ultimately it looked a little too low rent with the fact that you know, in the background is quite literally a parking lot where you can just see cars kind of pulling in and out. Um, And with the crowd not always being with the show, not always knowing the storylines, you know, not really seeming to recognize that Hogan is a bad guy or know who Malenko and Benoit are and kind of give that match its due. um, We thought that overall, you know, uh, fair play in trying something like this, but we we wouldn't come back to Sturgis uh, if we were Bischoff. But of course, we know that that is not the choice that WCW made, and we will have several more of these pay-per-views uh, in the future to review, so that should be interesting to see kind of what they learned 
from the first time. Uh, the other thing that we went over in those last few minutes is we talked about our MVP and match of the night. Uh, Dave's match of the night was the same as mine. We both picked the Benoit Malenko match. That seemed obvious. Uh, my MVP, I had a kind of a surprise pick. I went with Tony Schiavone as I thought that he did a pretty good job on commentary. You know, he's somebody who takes a lot of shit, but I thought his performance tonight was actually very good, uh, especially in light of the fact that he was paired with Dusty, who says just kind of bizarre things that pop into his head, and Heenan, who is normally very, very good, but tonight was, was just a complete mess. So Tony Schiavone was my MVP choice. Dave uh, went with Ultimo Dragon for having a great debut that made Dave want to see more of his matches in the future. So that is going to close the book on Hogwild 96. We'll be back soon. We have plans to uh, record the next Nitro and the uh, Clash of the Champions. So really, we're going to cover all three live events that WCW did within a five-day period, which is kind of <laughs> an insane thing. You may remember from past uh, episodes that they had more house shows that they were going to do that weekend that they actually canceled because they realized they were asking quite a lot, even of their very large roster. Uh, so we'll see how they leverage that roster. Maybe we get some faces on Nitro or that Clash of the Champions that we don't see as much or that at least weren't involved with Hogwild. I guess we'll have to see how that plays out. And see it we will right here where the big boys play. 20 years of Nitro. What would happen now if Hulk Hogan walks away with the world title tonight? Oh my God. It becomes you, property of the NWO. No, no, I tell you, no, it does not become property of the NWO. It's signed as a WCW heavyweight title match. And I guarantee you one thing, don't bet against the giant. Everybody talking, Hulk Hogan. I made the scenario and the soliloquy about him being, uh, 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 Hogan being such, uh, uh, been there before man. Well, the giant said, how dare you? Oh. And the bottom line is, we're gonna find out how dare you tonight at Hogwarts.